A good morning to you on this Tuesday, March 2nd. You're tuned into Real Talk. Ryan Jesperson with you. If you're if you're listening live, if you're streaming the audio on Mixler, if you're joining us live on YouTube, on behalf of technical producer Samuel G. Brooks and myself, a top of the morning to you. And Sam, a good morning to you. A good morning to you as well, sir. How, How the heck you? are you, sir? Sir. Look at the both of us. The both of us wearing rockin' vests today. I don't know if we've ever done the double vest before. You I got, don't you think... You got the three-piece on. I don't actually even own a genuine three-piece suit. Is that right? Yeah, I wish I did. You you yeah. you uh, you, com- you compile, you compose your, your three pieces based on uh, freestanding independent vests that That's you own? That's correct, yes. Okay. I'm a, I'm a, I stand up for the independent vest. I wonder if, you know, I, I would typically in your average workplace get a little bit nervous if two people at the same time were wearing vests and pressed shirts because it would appear as though both of them would be on their way to job interviews later in the day. <laughs> I suppose so. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's a bit of the uniform in broadcasting, but uh, I know it's, I know what you, well, I don't know. You've worked in a lot longer than I have. Well, there's different. You have, there's, you have, you have a vast closet full of suits and I piece together what's on my uh, bedroom floor in the morning. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. There are, there are different broadcasting uniforms depending on where you work and what you do. Um, they, they can be suits and ties and then they can also be hoodies and backwards caps. So it's it just, fair, it just yeah. depends. There are no rules. And here on real talk, we've, we've, uh, we've sort of like set a tone, I think, because, uh, coming out of a of, out of a pandemic year, when we started this thing back in November, we've just observed our three month anniversary. You and I, um, yeah. When we when we started this back in November, I think I just had some suits that just needed to be dusted off. Yeah. So we kind of started wearing suits and jackets, and then I mean, I'm walking out of the house this morning, and my wife looks at me. She's like, "What are you doing in a three piece suit?" She's like, "What are you? It's it's just formal. Like, what are you doing? Why are you wearing see, a three piece like, suit?" And and I have noticed over the course of the last you know a couple few weeks of working here, a few months of working here, that like you're a fan of the casual three piece suit. I yeah. see a lot of times the open collar three piece suit. It's a good look. Yeah, I've got a lot of ties at home, mm-hmm. but it just it would it would feel a little bit strange. Yeah. You know, because isn't the tone of this show every morning we show up ready to roll up our sleeves? Isn't that the whole idea? That is true. You know, so if I had, if we had ties on, I mean, you're wearing a tie today, though. You, maybe, maybe I should lose the tie. No, you're the first impression that guests get when they sign in on the uh, real talkers right now. This morning are like, are they are they doing a show today? Are they going to get around to anything? Are you just going to shoot the breeze no, all morning? No, it's going to be vest talk all day. <laughs> this morning's show. That's what the calendar says. Yeah, um, but uh, you you're the first impression. So when guests sign in on the Zoom, that's good that they see you. They'll. Mm-hmm. They'll be under the standing that under the understanding that we take this exercise seriously, that we mean business. And then and then and then I'll jump in and then start to they'll start to question everything. Um, let's let's drop in. It's been a while since since we have sort of dropped in on what we, you know, candidly, colloquially, affectionately refer to as the chatterbox. Uh, it looks to me as though Scott Crosby gets bragging rights as the first to say good morning this morning. And, and, and crazy James was right on his heels along with Jeff and Fatima and Penny and Joanne and Michelle and Mark and Jody and Audra and Sharon and everybody else. It's amazing to have you joining us and to everybody tuning in on the podcast later today. We so appreciate it. I love it when our hashtag gets going mid-afternoon, Real Talk RJ, and you know that everybody's downloading their podcast and starting to take in the show. Today's show is, is, is uh, we've, we've built it uh, to, to breathe because we get so many wonderful emails. We tell you this all the time to talk at RyanJesperson.com. We solicit your emails, don't we? We ask you for them. We say, tell us what you think. And then, and then you, you 
tune in and you get these shows where there's five or six or seven or last last week we had a show with nine guests and you mm-hmm. go um were you planning on reading any of our emails were you planning on getting to anything that I that I spent 45 minutes writing Jesperson and so today uh, we've left the the opening block wide open we've left the middle block open we're going to touch and we're going to talk to an audience member that I've never met before. I don't know a ton about him. This is exciting. But we've received, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, like call me on my BS if I'm exaggerating even one little bit. We have received, when it comes to the emails from audience members, from Real Talkers nominating this guest, we're into the triple digits. We've received. I, I would say that is correct. More yes. than 100 email is, nominations yeah. for Les Landry. Out of Medicine Hat, Alberta, people want to people want to learn what makes this guy tick, and so do I. I don't know a lot about him. This is an audience-nominated conversation, and we say every single morning, it's your show. You let us know what you want to hear. You let us know who you want to talk to. This guy's founded a, 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 a grassroots startup. It's called People Fighting Poverty. It's Modest Beginnings, and Les himself is going gonna, is gonna to paint a picture for us. I mean, I, I watched a video that he posted the other day on his social media, and he says, he says, I know poverty. He says, I can taste poverty. And I thought that that was like a visceral way to put it. And so we're going to find out what makes him tick. I, I, I'm curious to know. And real talkers can let us know why they why they nominated less. It's something really, I think um, it's both encouraging that he's helping people out. He's, he's, he's working to lift people out of poverty. Uh, it's also kind of disturbing and, 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 and troubling that citizens, you know, that, that we look around society and we understand i mean i i saw he was putting a plea out and he, what he, he tries to do my understanding we'll get him to clarify but he he connects like grassroots donors and people living in poverty and he tries to get set up sort of fund transfers where in, in any given month he says a donor or a sponsor he calls them might transfer someone 20 or 30 bucks and i saw this video he posted and he goes you know maybe you could transfer it like in you know the third week of the month when the funds kind of start to dry yeah. up and he says for somebody that could be a loaf of bread, a jug of milk and, 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 a, and a jar of jam, just enough to get them over the hump. And I went, Oof. you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm really appreciative when we review provincial budgets. We're talking about federal budgets and we, we're talking in these millions and billions of dollars. And sometimes I think it's the role and it's an important role of a show like this to talk to people that are living policy changes, people whose 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 everyday life is impacted by things like, for example, de-indexing AISH. AISH, if you're watching from outside Alberta, the assured income for the severely handicapped. So uh, I think it's going to be a moving conversation. I think so as well. I, I, I kind of share your sentiment. Is it like individuals like less? I'm, I'm so moved by what he does and i'm so angry that he has to do it in the first place yeah you know like that's that's my big takeaway from that is just like this this shouldn't have to happen that's well said we asked for your thoughts yesterday a, a listener wrote in to ask me to stop using a certain phrase um and it and, and we we asked for your response and in particular the two adams wrote in pretty sure they don't know each other their emails the tones of their email are very different we're going to open with those in a moment the two adams writing in on uh, one subject line thoughts on the words we use the other subject line language we use and so the two atoms in just a moment we're going to get to your reviews of my uh, interview with the honorable minister Seamus O'Regan on Friday minister of natural resources we're, we're going to get to my conversation with Shannon Phillips Susan wrote in to say she was very disappointed with both Shannon Phillips and myself in that conversation we'll find out why 
Colin wrote in with a sports metaphor, a hockey metaphor. Colin figured out the hack. I was about to say, this is how you get right to the top of Jespo's inbox. He figured it out. Yeah. And and now that I've put it out here, now we're going to get, I mean, now it's going to turn into a, you might say a race to the bottom, but I should come up with a hockey metaphor, shouldn't I? Hockey metaphors will get your email read. I mean, as long as it's good. And Collins is. Plus, we're going to find out why David and and Eva both wrote in about the PST and Lindo chiming in on private school funding. He says most people that want to defund private schools don't have all the information. So we're going to leave some time for his email, too. We got a lot of ground to cover, as you can tell. So we should kick start the show by reminding you that the team at Bitcoin, well, our proud title sponsor, is ready to ease you into the trends that is awareness around crypto. Don't let another day go by without completely understanding what on earth people are talking about when they talk about Bitcoin and blockchain and crypto and 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 what are these what are these digital wallets everybody's talking about and why does this matter and oh so many questions. Wouldn't it be nice to just talk to a human being that could answer your questions one by one? And then maybe even show you if you wanted to buy and sell Bitcoin, you wanted to make it easy, they could take you through the process. That's exactly what Bitcoin Well does. Bitcoin ATMs across Canada proudly headquartered here in Edmonton, and they're going public this year. We'll keep you posted on that under the Sponsors tab is where you'll find them at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. See, Troy's already on it in the live chat. Troy says everybody's going to be dumping it in the corner now, Jespo. Here come the hockey metaphors. Let's get to these. Yesterday, I read an email from a, a listener. I'll, 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 I'll use the phrase just to, to paint a picture. Uh, she she said, hey, Ryan, she says, I know you don't mean any harm, but when you talk about you know people spazzing out, she says it's like actually like kind of a really disappointing phrase for you to use. She said, you know, maybe check your language, come to a better understanding. And, and we explored it a little bit. Sam and I talked it out. We got to some of the comments on the on the, the live chat here. And some of you continue to chime in through the day, which we totally appreciate. It includes Adam, who sent us this email. Uh, and, and we're always wanting to hear what you have to say. Talk at Ryan is where you can get in touch with us. He says, I really enjoyed your dialogue on Monday, questioning why we use certain words and, and whether they should be used or not. And it got me thinking about why we're even having these conversations more nowadays, it seems, because, you know, well, while some might say it's sort of like a snowflake uh, or a politically correct, like a PC mentality. Adam says, I think the issue is more about considering the scope of communities that we now interact with. We didn't have as many of these conversations before social media because people weren't as interconnected. And we had dialogue in smaller communities where we weren't exposing ourselves to numerous different viewpoints, ones that we see online every day now. Before social media, if you had a thought you wanted to share and, and you chose to use certain language, you know, you might call a friend or you might email them or at most you might write a letter to the editor in the local paper. Um, but those ways that we communicated were smaller in scope. So, you know, unless somebody was eavesdropping on a private conversation, there may not have been anybody around to to correct somebody on their choice of words. And so, you know, those thoughts or comments today from people are more often posted online, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. So the person posting may be surprised when people they don't even know reply, you know, saying that these words are, are offensive or inappropriate. And, and the post or the, the author of the post may, may think, well, I mean, who's this person? to call me out. They don't even know me. And it can be alienating to some people who perhaps didn't even expect a response along those lines. And that's why, says Adam, it's so important for people who are posting or commenting 
to keep in mind the scope of the audience and, and, and you know, this reading what they're writing. And, and it's not the same thing as a private conversation with a neighbor or a friend. And if we're able to display empathy uh, for somebody who's offended by the use of a certain word, the same empathy as we might show to a family member who is hurt by something we might say, I think the world would be a, a much more decent and compassionate place. Adam says, you know, you, you may think that one tweet you write may not be read by many people, but there is the potential for millions to view it online. Remember, the, the wider your audience, the more your words have meaning and gravity. Online, your audience is a world of people who have just as many opinions as you do, including on the use of a word. Adam says, thanks again to Real Talk for fostering such interesting and thought-provoking dialogue. I thought that was really thoughtful and great. Yeah, but, me too. You know, you, and it's, it's true. If you think about it, social media, I mean, it's, it's not necessarily profound. It's a great point Adam makes. Um, but before Facebook, I mean, I joked about my uncle Larry a while ago before Facebook, you know, he was harmless because, you know, the worst he was going to do is upset people around this, the Sunday dinner table. Yeah. Now, you know, there's 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 forums and, and audience to be had different Adam. As a matter of fact, he signs off angry Adam. And I'm going to try to do his his email justice because it actually it requires a little bit of delivery, if you will. And angry Adam says, uh, this is actually an exceptionally complex and exponentially important topic. And I'm really glad you brought it up on the show. Language is a worthwhile discussion. Here's the way I see it, says angry Adam. This is like the type of email you got to pay attention to every word. OK, he says, so on one side, you have your Jordan Petersons, right? Who thinks it's her right to call you whatever she wants. OK, fair. On the other side, you have people who think you should not utter a specific word during your speech because it may be obvious and direct derogatory reference to the hearer, the consumer of that dialogue, in which case, you know, Helen Keller can't hear you because she's too busy being an author and an advocate for disability rights and a student who became the first deaf and blind person to earn a, a bachelor of arts degree in a playwright. Anyway, there's obviously a balance here, says angry Adam. All right, so Jespo, so, so please don't refer to me as shrimp, tiger, kid, sport, pencil, or the kid with shoulders like a fish. And in return, I will never return, refer to you as that name you don't want to be referred to as. And, and, if, and if I didn't know and I somehow accidentally said it, I'll apologize and you'll say no worries and we're good. Now that said, I completely endorse and declare you, Jespo, full consent and license to refer to me publicly as any one of the following. Angry Adam, up and Adam, he, she, them, Lily-livered, bow-legged varmint, ornery, fur-barren rebel, dog-gone, egg-dick, glute, long-eared, carrot-chewing, coyote, no-good, bushwhacking, barracuda, barnacle-bitten, swab, muley-headed maverick, great horny-toed landlubber, and of course, the guy who was holding my beer. Now, not everybody wants to be called such names. Generally, people like to be called by their own name unless being served. But I think it's reasonable for us to care about how others would like to be referred to as even while going to great lengths to pronounce the names and the, and the surnames of others, no matter the phonetical impairment. Why? Because it shows and proves a great deal of respect for the others in the conversation. I will never refer to you as whatever it is I feel like referring to you as because that would be daft and disrespectful. I'll ask as I would hope you would do the same for me. He says, unless, of course, I've not granted permission. And then he says, Raisin Bran, two scoops. I don't know what that means, but he fits it in. Angry Adam says, now that does not mean neither, uh, nor that there's a universal set of rules. In fact, you can say whatever the hell you want to say and to whomever you want to say it to. But just because you can play checkers with a lion doesn't mean you should. 
Respect whoever it is you're speaking with, no matter how many pink 50s they keep happening to reproduce. If they respect you the same, then say what's on your mind. And again, just don't be an a-hole and refer to people in derogatory fashion. Now, from time to time, you may accidentally say something weird or hyperbolic, but there's no rule that permits you from doing so. As long as you're being genuine and honorable in your conversation and you're not consciously referring to somebody personally in malice, there's no need to worry. So Angry Adam says, I hope this clears things up. I just hope we all remember to be respectful with our free speech. Free speech doesn't mean we can say, you know, just say whatever we want without consequences. Whatever it is that said can be criticized to full extent. There is a responsibility that presupposes the incredible sacrifice that facilitates free speech. But it also doesn't mean we should hypercensor our words. Just aim to be respectful. He says, and if you're not all right with that, make sure you inform The Rock what name you'd like to be referred to as Sincerely Angry Adam. And I don't know enough about the WWE to meaningfully respond to that, but thank you, Angry Adam, for your email. That was a lot of fun to read. So the two Adams coming at it from different points, but I think both of them focusing in on the fact that probably respect, mutual respect, and sincerity goes a long way. It's like there's a lot of common ground between the two Adams there. You know what I mean? It's just the whole idea is that... I, I said it yesterday, language is always changing, language is complicated, language is about showing respect to the person you're talking to, and I think that both Adams would agree but on that. I like this from Porter, it's just human decency to respect what people would like to be referred to as. Lauren says, that was a pretty good email from that varmint. <laughs> he did give us permission. I, okay, his list of names, like, it, it, this wasn't from Yosemite Sam, right? Huh? Well, his list of names to call him, this email, the, oh, Adam yeah. isn't secretly Yosemite Sam, right? Well, let me, uh, oh, let me yes, just reference it because he, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to, he gave us permission, full consent and license. And I'm going to keep this on record just in case we're served because he did, he had a legal reference. And I don't know if that was like a precursor or some sort of a, a harbinger. Hang on. Does he mean served? Yeah, legal papers or does he mean served like no, you know, he, somebody's like giving you a meal and, and, and formally refers he to said the restaurant? Gen, no, he said generally people like to be called by their own name unless they're being served. Okay, yeah, I guess which that is makes in, sense. Which is yeah, intuitive. Yeah. So he did grant us full consent and license to refer to him publicly as any one of the following. Angry Adam, Up and Adam, He, She, Them, Lily, Livered, Bowlegged, Varmint, Ornery, Fur Baron, Rebel, Dog, Gun, Egg, Dick, Galoot, Long-Eared, Carrot, Chewing, Coyote, No Good, Bushwhack, and Barracuda, Barnacle, Bitten, Swab, Muley-Headed, Maverick, Great, Horny, Toad, and Lover, and of course the guy that was holding my beer. Whatever that last part means, too. We might have to get, we might yeah. have to get Angry Adam on the show. There's a lot to dissect in that list. I feel like getting Angry Adam on the show might be like riding the mechanical bull at a cowboy bar. You... <laughs> You might end up you you'll definitely draw an audience that is guaranteed. Um, it may work out well for you and it may not. But regardless, it'll be worth the time. It'll be worth it for everybody that stops by and pops in to watch. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. In just I, a, not, not not a not a metaphor I was thinking was going to come up today. But oh, yeah, you know, I'll, hey, uh, I'll agree with you on that one. Every once in a while, I have to prove that I that I that I can't just operate in, in the parameters of, of hockey metaphors. I have to be able to prove that I can expand. And with rodeo soon to be declared Alberta's official sport. If you've heard this initiative, um, I better I better I, I, I better brush up on my I'm trying to come up with rodeo metaphors on the fly. Um, I better buckle up, strap in. Uh, no. Yeah. I'm going to grab the reins. I, 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 I'm going to spur this show on toward excellence. Um, we'll see. In just a second, this is really interesting. Um, 
folks sort of 55 plus are actually doing better uh, it turns out statistically when it comes to things like investment fraud online scams actually it's not that you don't need to look out for your you know grandma and grandpa and your folks and, and everything and yourself and you know if you're 55 plus the the, the numbers show you're actually doing you're trending in the right direction. You know who's getting hammered by investment fraud these days? You know who's taking it on the chin? 18 to 30-year-olds. These are supposed to be the, these are the young, savvy kids. The kids among us that are supposed to see these red flags and sniff these things out from miles away. But it turns out that 18 to 30-year-olds are getting scammed right now more than anybody else. The Alberta Securities Commission is, is ramping up an awareness campaign. We're going to talk about that, find out why 18 to 30-year-olds are getting scammed so frequently in just a second right now it is a, a total pleasure to welcome to our family of real talk builders our sponsors the team at mcbain camera and we're so excited to have them supporting what we're doing here on real talk at mcbain camera they want you to check out the nikon z50 camera sam i know that the nikon z50 a lot of people are excited about it i'm i want to make sure it's okay if i call it the z50 not the z50 now for here in canada talking about this camera Z50, I'm assuming I'm, I've got the green light to proceed on this. I mean, I, I can't speak for Nikon. But, Am I going to sound um, like I don't know what I'm talking but see, about? I always refer to things as Z2. You know what I mean? Like, uh, just like, I, I think you're right on that. It's a better sounding word. The Camaro, you have it as a... It's a Z28. Okay. Absolutely. Now, the bearded band. Well, ugh. I don't want to say ZZ top. You just that can't. That sounds a little odd, but you yeah. You can't. But I'm going to call it the Z50 camera. It's uh, McBain camera, that is, is Alberta's best destination for photographers and content creators. And the Nikon Z50 allows you to tell your story beautifully. You get stunning 4K Ultra HD with 1080p slow motion time lapse mode, so much more. Plus, they have that LCD screen you can flip down to activate self-portrait mode. Perfect for taking selfies. You can download Nikon's webcam utility live stream from Zoom, Twitch, YouTube, and more like a pro. And when you order at mcbainecamera.com, that Nikon Z50 body or kit, use the promo code REALTALK, one word, REALTALK, at checkout. You'll get a free spare battery to power all those adventures. You can shop safely at one of their six convenient Alberta locations or live chat with a team member right now at mcbainecamera.com. And to the team at McBain, welcome aboard. It's great to have you here. Let's find out why young people are more and more susceptible. I mean, young people are getting taken or getting scammed when it comes to investment fraud more than any other age group. Hillary McMeekins, uh, Director of Communications and Investor Education at the Alberta Securities Commission. Hillary, welcome to Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, when we have the Alberta Securities Commission chiming in, we know it's serious business and it's because people are getting taken for their cash. But Hillary, there's a, there's a bit of, I guess there's a good news side to this story, which is that, that it, it looks like trend-wise, it's not necessarily uh, the seniors that are getting taken here. As a matter of fact, older age groups are, are doing a little bit better than in past when it comes to online savviness, awareness. Am, am I reading these numbers correctly? Um, absolutely. I mean, I, I certainly don't want to say that we have to, everybody needs to be cautious, but what we're noticing is exactly like you're saying, there's an increase in, in those between the ages of 18 and 30 that are getting approached with these fraudulent scams. And, and we know that they're taking 
they're they're spending more time online they're researching more they're getting more involved which is fabulous we because investing is a can be a, a healthy part of our financial future um, but it's also something that you have to there's steps and not everybody has learned that at you know between the ages of 18 and 30 and that's why this year's our campaign is really focused on providing them with some really important information and the key steps that they should take to to invest wisely so th- it's the, it's the young i mean i'm calling them the kids somewhat in somewhat glib fashion <laughs> i remember it wasn't too long ago i was 30 years old but the 18 to 30 year olds are, are really targeted and, and as a matter of fact the the numbers are kind of troubling young people who you might think might be most savvy might see these red flags from a mile away are getting taken what's going on yeah no exactly so our numbers and we did the study um through the csa in 2020 and we learned that um 18 to 30 year olds in alberta 23 percent of them had said that they had likely been approached with a potentially fraudulent scam and at the same time, 45% of them believed that they'd seen advertising um, related to investment opportunities on their social media channels. So, so they're absolutely, and because they're so active and they're getting more active and because many people, I mean, scam artists are smart, right? They pay attention to when we're vulnerable and they pay attention to what's happening in the marketplace. And they know that unemployment is is high right now in Alberta. And they know that people are looking for work and looking for opportunities to make money. And and they prey upon that, unfortunately. And um, that's why we want to get out there with information and, and reach them where they're at on the social media channels where, where we know they, they, they like to go for information, for, you know, connecting with others, those kinds of things. So, but yeah, you're right. We've got a, an interesting comment here from Air I Said Straya, who's who's watching live right now on YouTube and says it, it may not be that young people are not savvy. It may be that they're more desperate. Are they on to yeah, something? Totally fair. Absolutely fair. Yes, because they're trying to start their lives and they're trying to start their careers. And and Alberta, we need uh, we certainly need investment in the province because that's how we, you know, we contribute to the economic recovery. Um, but but. And that desperation, we certainly see it and we see, you know, yes, we're, he's right. Um, or So totally appreciate the comment. And that's why uh, we're certainly not suggesting through the Alberta Securities Commission that people don't invest, but rather they take the steps to protect themselves and to invest wisely. Yeah. And, and that's where our campaign really focuses on this year. Okay, well, let's talk about this campaign and, and we can show our, our viewers this. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, you can obviously check out our YouTube show to check this out. Checkfirst.ca. Uh, Checkfirst.ca gives you the Alberta Securities Commission fraud excuse bot. Uh, Kind of a fun way to approach what can be a a devastating situation here. Can you take us into what this is all about? Absolutely. And you just hit the nail on the head. So recognizing that, um, you know what, it can be fun to take the right steps for you that protects you. It can absolutely be fun. And so we created this excuse bot. It is full of crazy, wacky excuses. Someone yesterday asked me if they could use the excuse for something else, (laughs) like getting out of a dinner date or something like that. And I said, 
by all means, have some fun with it. But the premise is when you, if you see something on your social media channels and you're curious or you're getting pressured because that often happens, particularly online or even in person too, but that, you know, get in now. This is your chance. Don't miss this opportunity kind of language. Um, tap the information that you're hearing about into the excuse bot. It'll serve you up an excuse that you can use to push back and say, hang on, I'm tapping the brakes. I'm taking a minute here and I'm going to do the proper research to make sure this is the right investment for me. Okay, so let, why don't we do this live on the air? Why don't you take me through this? Okay, so uh, <laughs> it says so it says what kind of investment is on your mind? What's a classic scam? Um, um, what do I say now? Uh, you know, um, they send check and I deposit, then send money back. That's one of the ones, right? Isn't it? It could be. Absolutely. Uh, okay, excuse. So oh, yeah. Here we go. It says, I'm really busy right now. I'm deep in a Wikipedia rabbit hole. Ever hear about Toynbee tiles? What about sailing stones? And then it points me here where I think you go. Let's look up the facts on the red flags of fraud. Uh, okay, yeah. there we go. So I click on this and then it's going to take me here. I imagine. Okay, here we go. Investment fraud, red flags. So it's kind of this is kind of like a fun, lighthearted way to, right. to point people in the right direction, right? Exactly. Yeah, perfect summary. Thank you. Absolutely. Yes, it is. And and checkfirst.ca is built to provide all those sort of the key red flags to be aware of, steps that you can take, things to consider whether you're beginning investing or you've been doing it for years and years. Either way, um, that's what Checkfirst is really designed to do is to provide free unbiased resources to anybody considering investing so that they take they take the right steps and they make the right decisions for them. Hillary. I want to be yeah. clear. Sorry, I stepped on your toes there. I, I, I no. want to be. I'm not. I'm not. When I'm asking you this question, I'm not calling certain things scams, or, or I'm not. I'm not implying anything. I just want to ask, generally speaking, you referenced earlier, and I don't want to breeze by your comment. You, you said something about like th- developments in the news or things happening in the news, and I mean, one of the things we can't ignore. And again, here's what I'm saying. I'm not calling it a scam. But like the subreddit, the GameStop story, the 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 Robin Hood trading plot, I mean, that whole thing, um, which is I mean, when I say the whole thing, I mean, there, there are about a thousand angles from which we could approach this. Does that did that whole thing about people's understanding about how subredditors, how redditors could like bring down hedge funds? Did that did that do a disservice to the work you're doing or does that complicate matters or is it totally unrelated? Mm, I wouldn't say it's unrelated and it's not. It, it, Here's what I would say. Um, it was the perfect example. And and the fact that it made it to mainstream media, right? Because normally these kinds of topics are discussed within business media and not everybody follows business media, really. But this made it to mainstream media, which tells us that there's an opportunity here. So it actually tells us that we are, we're on the right track, that we need to provide this information. Because what, what, what my takeaway from all of that is um, online chat rooms, they play a role. They've been around for some time. It's not because of the pandemic. They've existed for some time, but they're not always accurate. And so while you might pay attention to those chat rooms, you should also be doing the, doing the research yourself on the company specifically, looking into their disclosure. What are they telling investors? Are they following their business plan? Right. All of those kinds of steps, uh, like as in picking up the phone and calling the investor office from the company you're interested in. Um, you know, reaching out to them, reading what they've got on their website. Those are the steps that you should be taking, whether or not you pay attention to online chat rooms. So, and not everybody does, but they play a role and some people do. So, um, and that's fine, but just make sure you do the extra step, 
and yeah. really look into it for you. Yeah, I just the, the online chat rooms and, the, and you know I I feel like you know market accessibility is a good thing. It's cool that people can can self direct trades and get involved and and um, that that sort of that veil has dropped to a certain degree and more and more people are becoming financially savvy and and working toward their own financial sovereignty. But with that comes the risk that inexperience, you know, involves a certain amount of vulnerability. You know, mm-hmm. you hear these horror stories. I mean, the title sponsor of our show bitcoin well you know helps people with crypto and understand make sure they do it in a safe way i mean we've heard nightmare stories i know a guy personally that that was scammed for tens of thousands of dollars in a, in a crypto deal that just proved to not be legit and and i mean you just feel for these people this is real money these are people saving these are people's nest eggs i mean i'm stating the obvious but it seems to me now that there are more traps that you could step into than ever before mm-hmm and it's coming at you faster yeah. because it's coming at you all the time through online sources. And that's, and I mean, we're seeing a huge increase in advertising and activity on, you know, channels like TikTok, right? TikTok and, and Instagram. And, and that's why we we're trying to go there and give the information there on those channels so that people absolutely, they see it, but they also know another place to go to get unbiased information. Yeah. Is your so, job ever changing? Hey, Hmm. It's moving fast. Like yes. you have to, you have to all of a sudden be savvy with with things that. I mean, geez, yes. I, I signed up for TikTok. <laughs> That's as far as I got. I haven't posted anything yet, but you've got to figure that out now, and you've got to figure it out well. Right. Like you can't just dip your toes in. You got to, you got to be able to sniff out the nefarious stuff. That's right. That's yeah. right. And uh, same thing with our enforcement team, right? So our education and our enforcement team work so closely together because um, they're noticing things. And this actually brings me to a really important message. If people are seeing something that makes their toes curl, like they're not sure, by all means, reach out to us. Go through checkfirst.ca. Tell us. Tell us what you're seeing because if we haven't seen it yet, then we can't jump on it. But if we see it, then we can jump on it and we can try to disrupt it. Yeah. That's a great point. Uh, Hillary, thanks so much for making time for us. I was wanted to get to the bottom of why it's young people here that are most targeted. Uh, appreciate you pointing us in the right direction. Thank you for having me. It's yeah, a pleasure you got it. Here. You got mm-hmm. it. That's Hillary McMeekin uh, from the Alberta Securities Commission. It's an interesting story. Uh, checkfirst.ca. Uh, and you can check out if you want to go directly to the screen you saw with us. Checkfirst.ca slash take some time. Do you feel like you have a pretty good detector on that? Sam, you strike me as the type of guy that would have a pretty good detector on this stuff. I think I do. I think everybody that claims that they're a good detector on this stuff probably has a blind spot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm like I've said many times on this show before, I'm, I'm very boring when it comes to investing. So, you know, don't. Don't take my advice because it's not exciting. Um, maybe that's yeah. why people should well, take your yeah, advice. Maybe. Okay, buy index funds. There you go. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's just, um, yeah, it, it's, I think, I think it's also a bit of, like, I'm 31. And so social media kind of developed as I was developing financial literacy. Right. You know what I mean? So I think that I fall in this kind of sweet spot generation where, um, these scams developed in real time in front of my eyes. So they're pretty easy to spot, but I'm also not, you know, an 18 year old on TikTok or a 15 year old on TikTok who gets served these ads. So like, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I don't know what the latest thing is and, and, and how they're being susceptible to it and whatnot. I think that when, you know, when, when things kind of drift across my desk in my life, I can, I can spot them, but I don't know what all's out there. Some random guy says, I've got another webinar today, so I'll see you guys later. Uh, Where are your priorities? Some random guy. What? 
You need to check your priorities. Some random webinar, apparently. Some random webinar from some random guy. Obviously, you know, real talkers, we're going to need to talk to this some random guy. We're going to need to talk to him. Um, it's worth pointing out. I mean, it's really interesting right now to read who's, who's watching us online. And so many people are talking about different ways that they've been targeted or different ways that people have tried to sink their hooks in. And I think it's worth pointing out. It may be obvious, but it's worth pointing out that you don't have to be naive you know, you, you, you don't have to be ignorant to get taken by a scam artist. They're good at what they do. And you hear these horror stories all the time by people that are, you know, otherwise very savvy. Well, I mean, their whole job is to figure out how to be savvy. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like scammers are always one step ahead of everybody else. So yeah. I get it. Yeah. Uh, thanks to the Alberta Securities Commission. Uh, wanted to remind you that as, as you start to dream of uh, tulips, daffodils, uh, and the early signs of spring, I know as soon as I say this, we're going to get annoying photos from those of you that are watching us from, from New Zealand and Costa Rica and Palm Springs, where it's always fabulous. It's always beautiful. You're going to show us your, your gardens that are spilling over right now with bounty for the rest of us. As you look to improve your outdoor space, for the spring into the summer of 2021, might we point you in the direction of Eden Landscaping? If you're dreaming of a backyard kitchen, a patio, a new deck, maybe an outdoor room, a gazebo, a greenhouse, maybe you want your neighbors have a big boulder on their front lawn and you want to get one that's like one foot taller. Eden Landscaping can do that for you at landscapeedmonton.ca. Check them out under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Also wanted to remind you, it's a huge week for the team at Friesen Brothers. They've been Alberta-owned and Alberta-grown. As a matter of fact, I think they prefer Alberta-grown, Alberta-owned. For more than 60 years, founded by the legendary officer of the Order of Canada, Frank Loveson, he and his beautiful wife agnes their family so excited to be opening their 15th alberta location this friday march 5th in edmonton just off the anthony henday at rabbit hill road i was able to tour the store yesterday masked up toured the store it is unbelievable it's absolutely unbelievable i don't know if i should be spoiling the surprises or not to let you know what's in there but they have like a smash burger you, grill i was about to say you've dropped some hints before we know about the grill we know about the craft beer they have craft taps. beer on tap oh my god they have, they have local craft beer on tap at the grocery store they've got a fabulous pizza oven they have a whole section dedicated to alberta honey they have like mountains of chocolate fudge i was just walking through like what is going on they had the smokers going they smoke on site you know they had the smokers going yesterday and i just walked in and i was like oh wow that place must i mean between between the fresh baked sourdough bread and the smokers going that place must smell incredible you know what's going to happen it, it it's it's a lot of people are going to get in a lot of trouble because they're going to end up spending so much time at the grocery store like me i'm going to be there crushing like a beef short rib and a few pints i'm going to come home hours after i was supposed to be home i'm going to i'm going to reek like beer don't worry i'll uber and then Carrie's going to be like, where were you? And I'm going to be like, I was at the grocery store. She's going to be like, yeah, right. You reek like, where were you? I'm going to be like, I was at Friesen Brothers the whole time. Make sure you check in and check out Friesen Brothers opening up March 5th. That's this Friday. All right. We want to get to more emails. Uh, but right now, Sam, uh, out of the gates, why don't we take a look at what's going on right now? We'll take a look at today's news headlines on this Tuesday morning.
So we're trying to get to the bottom of this story. What's going on with the different vaccines? You see people talking about, you know, one is better than the other. Do you want to hold out to get this vaccine or should you get that one? Or does it work for both of us? Does it matter if mom or dad or or a senior and maybe we want to hold out for the other vaccine? Well, Canadians tempted to shop around or basically being given simple advice from experts they're saying take what's offered as quickly as possible. As a matter of fact, we reached out. Real Talk reached out to Dr. Brad Wouders out of the University Health Network at the University of Toronto. He was hoping to join us this morning. Couldn't, but he sent us a quick statement. He said, he said, I'm not available to join, but please tell Real Talkers that my message is very simple. This from Dr. Brad Wouters, University of Toronto. We have three extremely effective approved vaccines. My advice to Real Talkers is to take any vaccine that is offered. We are in a race against more transmissible variants. And that seems to be the tone across Canada. An independent committee of experts have, have drawn a distinction between AstraZeneca's vaccine and the two others that are recommended by the Public Health Agency of Canada. The committee's determined there's not enough data, they say, to specifically recommend AstraZeneca for Canadians 65 and older, but... The recommendations make clear those that are previously prioritized for vaccination, including frontline workers, indigenous Canadians should receive mRNA vaccines as a first choice. If it's not available, AstraZeneca should be given. And we'll keep you posted on that story as we receive more research and as we receive more details. Let's take a look. If you're tuning in from Alberta, if you're listening to our podcast from this prairie province, here are our COVID numbers per yesterday afternoon as announced by Alberta's Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Dina Hinshaw. Uh, 4,674 active cases, including 257 in hospital, 48 in ICU, 1,188 Albertans have lost their lives to COVID-19. Sam, those are striking numbers. If you take a look, I mean, you you look back to where we were in, you know, December into January. Those numbers, I mean, was at 48, I think, in ICU there. You remember when we were closing we were, in on we were, 600. I was about to say, yeah, we had, we had some serious, serious. I, I don't think we ever had 600 in ICU, but certainly in hospital, right? We had a couple hundred in I think, ICU. Pardon me. Yeah. I think 600 was the number that Dr. Shazma Matani had told us was, was her uh, impression of when Alberta would be reaching a crisis point right. of ICU capacity. Right. Thanks yes. for that fact, Jack. You're right. You're absolutely right. So with these numbers down, Alberta easing uh, public restrictions yesterday. So libraries able to reopen now with 15% of fire code capacity. So still not packed. Uh, fitness centers are able to resume some low intensity individual and group workouts for adults. Uh, the premier had this to say to Albertans, and we want to give you a bit of an extended clip here. We're not going to not going to cut eight or ten seconds here. Um, here. Here's a portion of what Premier Jason Kenney had to say with regards to numbers down and new restrictions being lifted. While our hospitalizations are dropping, we have seen cases at the same time level off. So the number of active cases has leveled off recently. And the uh, testing positivity rate has risen a bit. We also have observed a small increase in the daily number of new uh, variant cases. And that is worrisome too. That's why we have to proceed cautiously while still moving forward. Now, I know that many Albertans want us to relax many more health measures today, but we cannot and we must not allow exponential growth to start to take hold driven by these new more contagious variants as we've seen in many countries around the world because to do so would end up uh, in weeks jeopardizing our healthcare system. So we must take a balanced approach and move carefully and safely 
focused on the data and with the expert advice that we receive from the chief medical officer and the public health team. To every Albertan that is worried that we're moving too slowly and who longs for life to get back to the way things used to be, I hear your concerns, I share them. We all want to get back to that place as soon as possible. Uh, but for that to happen, the game changer is the vaccine. It is incredibly frustrating and totally unacceptable that Canada is ranked 40th in the world for per capita inoculation against this virus. Widespread use of the vaccine will mean freedom, which is why we renew our urgent call on the federal government to catch up with the rest of the world in vaccine procurement. So that was Alberta Premier Jason Kenney yesterday giving you an idea of sort of what's factoring into the government's decisions and, and what that phase three might look like as well uh, as numbers continue to drop hospitalizations. This is a good thing. Now, it doesn't mean we're out of the woods. And of course, uh, doctors are going to remind you that those new variants are still a reality. And on this front, did you see this about these Dr. Seuss books? Six Dr. No. Seuss books. Today is the famed children's book author's birthday, Theodore Seuss Geisel. And the business that preserves the author's legacy announcing today that six of his books will no longer be published because they portray people in ways that are hurtful and wrong. So these titles include, and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street, If I Ran the Zoo, Miguel Agat's Pool, On Beyond Zebra, Scrambled Eggs Super, and The Cat's Quizzer. So these six books, um, the Dr. Seuss Enterprises, by way of statement this morning, says it made the decision after consulting educators says it's part of our broader plan to ensure that the dr seuss catalog represents and supports all communities and families it's one of the best known children's authors in the world it goes without saying maybe the best known oh yeah i mean how the grinch stole christmas cat in the hat green eggs i mean everybody's I, I think got most their, of us started oh, the, reading dr seuss books. oh the places you'll Absolutely. go do you have a favorite Ooh, i I mean, I have a real affection for the Grinch. Oh, yeah. You know, like every Christmas, that's kind of required reading for me. You know, 650 million copies of Dr. Seuss's books have been sold worldwide. But me. did you know that starting back in the 1920s, had a long history of publishing racist and anti-Semitic work. Once drew black boxers as gorillas, perpetrated or perpetuated rather uh, Jewish stereotypes, portraying Jewish characters as financially stingy. Um, this is according to a study published in the journal Research on Diversity in Youth Literature. So an interesting step moving forward. As we talk, I mean, we opened our show today reading emails from, from the two Adams on language we use and sensitivities we have and steps we can take to to uh, walk the walk on, uh, yeah, on meaningful inclusion. We're going to get back to more of your emails. We, we really wanted to commit to leaving time on today's show to, to, to honoring the time and the effort that you put into being in touch with the show. And so I got this one from Colin to talk at RyanJesperson.com. He says, I listened to your segment on Monday uh, with uh, Ricardo Acuna and, and Dr. Lori Adkin. And he says, Ryan, you speak in sports analogies. So here you go. If, if, if a team like the Edmonton Oilers paid players like universities pay academic staff, we'd still have Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier counting against the team's salary cap. And there's no way we could afford Connor McDavid at that point. We have no cap, no salary cap, so to speak, on tenured track salary at the University of Alberta or at any Alberta university for that matter. Students are the only ones who pay for the yearly increases. 
you know, since tuition would traditionally go up by the university's own price index, known as the API, whereas the Alberta grant would not. He says, I know that that Mr. Acuna talked about how it shouldn't be an us versus them scenario. Um, I asked Ricardo about tenured salaries and researcher salaries and how oftentimes there's a real discrepancy because you take a look at all these these job losses that are being announced by the hundreds and hundreds at these Alberta universities. It's not the it's not the tenured faculty members. It's not the the, the top uh, ranking researchers. It's the, those aren't the ones on the way out. Right. It's, it's the, the janitors and the the the, the section, uh, the session lecturers. And uh, you can tell by my hesitance in, in, in delivering a sort of fact that it's been a while since I've walked the university campus. But we heard from so many of you yesterday, mostly on Twitter, uh, the Real Talk RJ hashtag. We heard from a ton of you that were saying it's not these tenured professors that are getting canned. It's a lot of people at the earlier stages of their career. So Colin says that that whole thing, Ricardo, it says to some extent, I agree. It shouldn't be an us versus them scenario. Ricardo said to me, Ryan, the last thing you want, you know, because some people are being dragged down. You don't want to sort of trend toward trying to drag everybody down. He said what you might expect he would say in his position. You can watch the interview by subscribing to our podcast. Colin says, but this so-called exploitation is not being perpetrated by central administration, adjusting the way some of his membership you know, the academic staff union receives compensation it would help rectify that universities are very hierarchical with students and, and support staff at the bottom with contract teaching staff slightly above then tenure track. And then it gets a little blurry with central admin and the superstar researchers. Colin says the student and support staff voice needs to be heard. They're the ones shouldering most of the negative consequences from these cuts. That from Colin. Wanted to let you know we're working on a roundtable that'll that'll put those voices in front of you. David in Calgary wrote in and, and his his subject line, Sam, we saw this in the email inbox, was not subtle. His subject line reads in all caps, PST now. David in Calgary calling for it. How about those results of our question of the week? 80%, I think it was 78% of real talkers said they're okay with the provincial sales tax. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm... I think I'm shocked and I'm not shocked because, you know, at the same time as as we've been hearing, we talked to a lot of smart people about this, um, you know, like uh, David Hurley yesterday. It, it, it's a PST, I think, actually has a lot of favor, but nobody will actually stand up and say it. It's like it's the best kept secret in Alberta that we need one and everybody believes in it, but nobody wants to blink first. I thought Hurley's insight were, were, were great fantastic on that. fantastic on that. Oh, yeah. His insights were, were basically if you missed that interview and you should you should catch it because it's worth it. Um, his 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 comments on the dynamic between Ottawa and, and Alberta, I thought he was great. He basically said if I was Ottawa, if I was a liberal party. I'd stop talking to Calgarians and Edmontonians like, like they're Westerners. And I would just talk to them like urban dwellers, people that live in big cities that have big city concerns. You got some great comments, by the way, from folks that said that's not limited. Like David Hurley said yesterday, you know, talk to them like they're people that care about diversity and inclusion and all these types of things. And we got some emails from rural Albertans and and, and folks on the prairies that said, why is he limiting that to the cities? Those are priorities for us, too, which was a great point. I think it's absolutely a great point. But I, Hurley basically yeah. yesterday said, what did he say? No one's going to campaign on a PST because they'd lose the election. Yeah. And if you roll in a PST, you acknowledge that you may need to do it for the good of the province, but you're going to lose the next election. Well, and I mean, you know, it's it's kind of funny is I, I said very cynically to Kelly yesterday. I don't even know why I'm saying this on air. If the UCP was smart 
and they knew that they weren't going to do well in the next election. They'd institute it right before they leave office and spend the next four years lambasting the government about how they're misspending the PSD. Oh, that's an interesting... But Jason Kenney is just on He'll never do that. I mean, oh, yeah. The, the guy was like the founding... What was his title? He was like the founding CEO or something of the Canadian Taxpayers yeah. Federation. So I was like, we know that that will never he's just happen. Not I said it was a very it. cynical take. Yeah, he's not going to do it, but... It's an interesting one. If you write the the choose your own adventure Alberta politics edition, that would be a great one. You you know turn to page seventy six yeah, to I implement so, the PSD. Right? Yeah. Am I dating myself? Did you have those books when you were? I had choose your own adventure books. They were yeah. great. They were awesome. Yeah. David in Calgary says Albertans must all caps must come to grips with the cold hard truth. The only way to solve a budget deficit is through increasing tax revenue. A 5% provincial sales tax would be the lowest in the country and would have the power to erase our province's budget deficit within a decade. It would adequately fund services and infrastructure we desperately need without harming quality of life for the majority. The fact that no politician in this province recognizes this is borderline criminal. David says it shouldn't be political suicide to create a scheme. You can't use that word, David. Let's say create a structure where the budget can be fixed without gutting the public sector. The vast majority of Albertans want high quality health care, education and infrastructure, but only as long as somebody else pays for it. Selfishness and privatization are not how a functioning society works. It's our civic and patriotic duty to pay our fair share so everyone can benefit. This selfish American style taxation is theft mentality has to change now or Alberta is permanently doomed to a future of crumbling roads, schools, healthcare, a poisoned environment, widening inequality and poverty. That from David in Calgary, who wants a PST now. Susan wrote in after we talked to uh, the NDP's finance critic, Shannon Phillips, formerly Parks Minister, now sitting on the opposition benches. We talked about the budget and what would the NDP do? And Susan said, I mean, public sector negotiations, contract negotiations came up. And I said, uh, and I'll stand by it, if I was the finance minister, if I was representing the provincial government, I would be starting at a 0% increase. That's the position I would take in bargaining. I'd start at 0%. Then I'd say, we'll make you an offer right now at 0% increase. It's yours to sign. And if you want to fight it, then we'll fight it and we'll see what happens. But 0% is our offer. Doesn't mean I don't respect healthcare workers. It means that it's complicated. And it means there's a lot going on. And it means that Alberta is looking at a $20 billion deficit on what's usually a $45 billion budget. That's huge. So Susan writes in and says, I was pretty disappointed with the interview with Shannon Phillips on budget day the day before. She says that it appears that you both took some satisfaction that government workers salaries would be frozen. Eh. Susan says, in fact, the government's been negotiating that they want a 4% decrease across the board and, and some up to an 8% decrease. And Susan's right. I mean, the rumblings are that we're going to see 7 to 8% cuts on some salaries pretty soon. Susan says, contrary to public, you know, popular belief, the Alberta NDP did nothing for government workers while they were in government. Look at how happy Shannon Phillips got when she bragged her government screwed over workers, too. Susan says, I was super disappointed with both of you. That from Susan. I appreciate you watching the show. Appreciate you taking the time to chime in. It's okay to be disappointed in the interview. I mean, Susan, respectfully, you're out to lunch if you think that Shannon Phillips or myself would take satisfaction in the fact that people's salaries are frozen, that people are getting, quote, screwed over. 
But let me just say this. It, it contained in your own email, you're saying the government's been negotiating for a 4% decrease. What did I say? I said I'd start at zero. 0% zero increase is better than 4% decrease. And nobody else is getting raises right now. Who's getting raises right now? I mean, maybe some people, maybe the odd person. Yeah, have you had these conversations? I've had the odd conversation with somebody. You know, you catch up with someone on like Zoom or something and you say, how have you, how have you been holding up this year? And the odd time you run into someone that, and they kind of look around, you know, like, and they kind of like, and, they, and they're like, the year's actually been amazing for us. Like our business is booming, but we feel terrible saying it out loud. There's a real survivor's guilt going around. I think, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah with the pandemic is just like, you know, it, it, it's cause you're right. You feel we, we live in a world right now where you actually feel down on yourself if something is going well for you, you know? And, and it's, it's. On the one hand, I think we need to be able to celebrate these things. On the other hand, you can't go out with your friends and celebrate these things like I normally do, yeah. you know? So it, it's it's a tough time for everyone. It is. EVA. Would you say Eva or Eva? Eva? I would say Eva. Eva. But that's just me. But I, I would almost say yeah. Eva. Eva? Right. Eva? I, 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 well, if we say them both, I hope, I hope we honor you. Um, Eva says, we tune into your show every day from Invermere, B.C., Thank you. One of my favorite places in the world. Phenomenal. Absolutely. Phenomenal. Right? You got skiing. You got golf. You got, what is this going to turn into? A Giant lake. It's going to turn into a tourism segment for tourism in Vermeer. Uh, Eva, Eva says, I listened to your show from Invermere. We moved here last year from Ontario to be closer to our kids in Calgary. Says we lived in Calgary for like 30 years, except for a five-year stint in Dallas. So part of my heart is still in Alberta. Says, I have to admit that part of what it made us choose BC over Alberta is Alberta's premier. Watching his government just makes me so angry. So this choice was better for my mental health. She says, I'm a, I'm a fiscal conservative and I, I would describe myself as socially liberal. And for most of my adult life, I voted conservative. And that includes voting for Stephen Harper. As a matter of fact, we used to live in his riding in South Calgary. And it was always an uneasy compromise. For me, the reason getting, you know, so concerned about balanced budgets and, and debt was that, you know, that we would leave to future generations. We wanted to minimize interest payments in order to be able to take care of people. Eva has that bolded. Not so that we can keep the income gap growing by doing everything to make sure that taxes are kept low at the expense of the less fortunate and the middle class. The current conservative movement is mean spirited. And in my mind, as a longtime conservative voter, it panders to anti-immigrant and racist undercurrents in society. The disdain for elites and the media are also bad for democracy and not something I can support. She says, here's my solution for implementing a PST in Alberta. Have a referendum along with the municipal election this fall. Put it to the people. Make the question simple and specific. Do you favor a 2% PST for Alberta? Parties could run saying that they'll respect the will of the majority. That way they don't even have to own it. She says you could also add a clause that it could only be increased by referendum. Well, that's that is the reality. Here's the thing. I mean, I've seen a lot of people. I think it was fake Ezzy on Twitter. I retweeted it the other day, came up with something and said, you know, Premier Kenny is promising this. This this, you know, equalization referendum on the ballot in the fall when when Albertans go to the polls to choose their next town and city councilors, mayors, Reeves. Fake as he's I mean, it's it's in, in my mind, it's it's a it's a it's a money burning exercise. It's pointless. 
you, you already know what the result's going to be. And it's non-binding and who cares? It's non-binding. Who cares? It's a great yeah. way to get people of, I think, a certain political persuasion or political leaning out to the polls to vote in the municipal elections. Probably not an accident. But fake as he said something along the lines of why don't you get rid of this this ridiculous equalization referendum? Why don't you do a meaningful one? Why don't you put a referendum to the people in October of 2021 in Alberta asking about a PST? I think it'd be interesting to see if you get it back and 7% of Albertans say, yeah, we're cool with it. Then you have a mandate. You have a mandate to 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 take it and to throw it out to, to say, listen, we put our money where our mouths are. We asked the people. The people said, hell no. But if 55 percent of Albertans or if 70 percent of Albertans say, I think we should do it. Well, then there you go. You've got your green light. Oh, yeah, I I, I would agree that. I mean, certainly if we're going to have a referendum on anything, this is a more useful exercise than having one on equalization like that like full stop absolutely um i i first of all i i suspect that there is widespread support for it but as we kind of touched on before too it's like this is this is a road jason kenny will never go down so it's uh you know we'll because the thing about implementing a pst is you're not fighting ottawa his mo is i have to fight the feds you're not doing anything to fight the feds fixing your own taxation problem yeah yeah, there's a lot going on. I mean, Alberta collecting its own income tax, Alberta pension, Alberta police. I mean, there are a lot of things going on right now that nobody campaigned on. Keith wrote in. I love this. Keith CC'd us on a letter to the Honorable Seamus O'Regan. We took it like a letter to us. It was after my interview with the uh, Minister of Natural Resources on Friday. Keith says, Minister, I saw your interview on Real Talk this morning, and quite frankly, I was pleasantly surprised to hear a number of things you said. You gave a broader and more complete understanding of what's happening in the fossil fuel industry and energy beyond the sound bites that sadly I have taken for granted as being true. You bluntly stated your position and what you're committed to, and I like that. I learned a lot, and it certainly is changing my thinking about what's happening right now in Canada. I would encourage you minister to endeavor to make the information you gave on real talk more widely known especially in the western provinces thank you for your candor and forthrightness in speaking with jesperson on friday much appreciated that from keith out of calgary keith thanks for that thanks for tuning in i appreciate that i thought that was a great interview and if you missed it i encourage you to check it out either by downloading the podcast or watching it on youtube seamus o'regan painted a very different picture than what we get from our provincial government on what that relationship what that that cooperative relationship looks like it yeah. sounds to me he and the energy minister sonia savage are talking all the time well and and i i think that it was i think it's a useful exercise for everybody to kind of understand that little bit of truth like you know governments that don't like each other have to work together and they always find a way to do it and and i still think that we have a lot of dysfunction in this province right now but um you know, we, I, I think my favorite thing about the the minister, like Minister Regan's interview, is just he was very candid. He was very, like, it wasn't canned talking points the whole time. It didn't he, feel like it. Yeah, it, it's like, and I mean, he definitely towed a lot of the government's line, and that's well, what sure. you expect I mean, him to do as do. the natural resources minister. But you know, at the same time, it's he was, yeah, he gave it to us straight, and he, it, it felt like talking to a real person. Yeah, it did. Um, 
Is our uh, okay? We're we're about we're going to welcome in just a moment a guest to the show that I've I've never met. I've never talked to him before. This is this is like overwhelming audience nomination time. That's what this interview is going to be. But before we get to Les Landry, I want to remind you that the team at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge Builders here with us at Real Talk have one of the largest inventories of Ram trucks in the entire province. And right now, they're offering 0% financing up to 96 months or discounts up to $17,500. Their websites have all the details. And of course, you know, because I'm a Jeep guy and we're a Jeep family, I've been talking to you about their Jeep lineup. 2021 is a huge year. First of all, the seven-passenger Grand Cherokee, bang for buck, that's the truck. Ooh. There you go. Billboard. Bang for buck, that's the truck. They're not Plus, paying us enough for billboard ideas. That, that's right. We'll, yeah. we'll send them an extra invoice. Okay, we can send good. them an extra. I'm, I'm sure they'll pay. I'm sure they'll pay it. I mean, well, you know. And then, of course, this Grand Wagoneer Jeep's bringing it back. Um, this is the luxury SUV that everybody's talking about this year. Forget it, forget it with the Navigator and the Escalade. And all. The Grand Wagoneer is the truck that everybody's talking about in the Jeep lineup. And you won't find a better selection than you will find at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Also, a big shout out to the team at Local Waste. They do more than just sponsor Trash Talk each and every Friday, which is a cathartic exercise for all of us as you as you blow off a little steam by way of quick and punchy emails to us by following the Talk to Us link at ryanjesperson.com. Local Waste also, with more than 25 years of experience, locally owned and operated, taking on faceless multinational garbage corporations and doing it the right way by building real relationships in the communities they serve. They love to talk trash. You can give them a call. They want to fight for your business at localwaste.ca or 780-242-9746. Ask for Chris, Mikkel, or Lauren at Local Waste. All right. As mentioned, literally, we have literally received more than 100 emails from people who have been impressed by or impacted by the work that our next guest is doing out of uh, humble circumstance. Les Landry has founded a group people fighting poverty, and it's obviously gaining traction. It's a real pleasure as nominated by real talkers to welcome Les Landry to the show. Thanks for making time for us this morning and welcome to real talk. Thanks for having me, Ryan. You can hear me okay? I can hear you loud and clear, Les. I think you, you already get two <laughs> you get two points out of the gates as one of the guests that joins us not on mute. So job well done. We're off to a great start. Les, I want to pick your brain. I want to get to know you a little bit. I want to find out what this people fighting poverty is all about. You're, I mean, I'm saying this This is a compliment. You're, you're just a guy. You're an average citizen that, that all of a sudden started up a movement. And now you're, now you're helping. My understanding is that you're endeavoring to help people, uh, you know, across the country uh, and, and even sometimes outside Canada. What's the deal? First off, I want to say thank you for having me. And, and that intro that between you and Sam earlier, uh, and I and I chatted with Sam and I said, uh, after that, you don't need me. <laughs> so anyways, um, a little bit about myself. I was, I was raised by a single mom in poverty. So or uh, a person that people called my mom. Um, uh, things weren't good at home for me. Um, and then by nine years old, I was attacked by a pedophile. So one could imagine my life. My life took me to places no human being ought to go, and very few people make it alive. So I've tasted poverty. I know what survival is about uh, to the extreme. Um, as my life progressed, I, I got into tri- trucking. Um, and then uh, about 15 years ago, I developed hernia. And while I was waiting for surgery, uh, 
my resources ran out. I was living in the van. A friend of mine took me to Alberta Works, um, which is survival, uh, minimal survival. Um, and Alberta Works' main priority is to get you back into the workforce. So I waited uh, about a year for my surgery. Uh, came out of my surgery with some uh, life-changing complications. I was allergic to the anesthesia. My blood pressure climbed to 270 over 160. They couldn't control it. They couldn't stop it. And the only thing that brought it down was my service dog. So that took me to there. Um, I got accepted by uh, on age uh, through Dave Hancock, pretty much. And uh, I've always been very, very grateful for every dollar I get from age. I don't take it for granted. I don't abuse it. And I, by all means, I am very grateful for it, even as I was working and making good money. I mean, my deductions are like $4,000 a month. And I used to look at that and say, you know, at least I'm, at least I'm supporting a single mom with three kids. Hmm. Like I, I'm, I was always more than willing to give back to the community, even as a person on age. So I, I, I raised, uh, raised some awareness on the service dog issue. Uh, Dr. Starkey commented on that on Twitter last night. Um, I, I, I started a food bank, pet food drive, and not a food bank, but a pet food drive at Christmas time to, to get uh, pet food donated for people that, uh, uh, in poverty. So I always had issues with people of poverty, concern. And the first year I, I raised 150 pounds. My goal was 500 pounds. Then the second year, uh, over 1,100 pounds. And by that time, other organizations are doing it. And people said to me, aren't you, uh, aren't you mad? I said, why would I be mad? So they sold your idea. I said, no, they didn't. They enhanced my idea. So, Les, you kind of see yourself as like you're 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 a, a citizen actor in a way, right? I mean, you're you're this grassroots guy that identifies individual cases uh, where people need your assistance, despite the fact that you yourself are are, are hardly living flush, right? So why is why is what you're doing so necessary? Are, are, I, you're a fierce advocate. Uh, for people fighting poverty, that's very apparent online. Um, what is it that drives that? I mean, is it is it is it the is it the understanding that that existing social supports are to a certain degree or for all intents and purposes inadequate? They've always been inadequate. Always, it's not just this government or or the, or the times. They've always been inadequate from the time uh, from from nineteen fifty seven, from when I was born. Always been inadequate. So, um, I believe, and and I'm a living example that poverty is generational. And one thing about the Notley government is once you brought down child poverty to fifty percent. And, and what that done for the future of society to bring down that child poverty level and, and the social costs 20 years down the road, because their generation, their children will be one step farther away from poverty. So and my concern is children in poverty and, and pretty much everybody. But my main concern is the child. So anyways, um I've done a couple of other uh, uh, campaigns for people with disabilities and stuff they don't need to get into. But my point with raising that is I always seemed to be able to draw people to the cause. 
whether it was my own personal cause or other causes, uh, uh, the pet food drive, or I'd done some other things. And it seemed like whenever I raised an issue for myself, I mean, not too long ago, my, my coffee pot burnt out. And I post, I, you know, I put on trailers with my other well, I don't want to be doing it. I got no coffee. What happened? Well, my coffee, my coffee pot burnt out. My Keurig machine broke down. And next thing you know, somebody sent me 50 bucks. You know, go, there's one in Kijiji. Another person said, can I buy you a, a can I buy you a, a coffee? She said, well, no, I already got one, but I could always use some coffee. The guy sent me enough coffee to, to stock a Starbucks for a year. So I, I always had, I mean, I had unbelievable support. And two weeks after that, I was getting all kinds of hot chocolate. So, and, and I wasn't even asking for this stuff. Well, Les, when, these are, this is, this is what, this is what struck me is with your video. I watched one of the videos that you posted <laughs> on your Twitter and you talk about the, this, this people fighting poverty and initiative. And you've got a, you've got a GoFundMe page that I see and, you, and, you, and you're working to raise money. People can search the hashtag people fighting poverty. And, and I saw that you were encouraging potential sponsors. You want to facilitate these relationships. And like I said earlier, on one hand, it's, it's admirable. It's amazing. As a matter of fact, I saw a comment, someone that's watching the show right now right this minute by the name of Lex says that you were one of their saviors when they were close to homelessness. They, they call you a true hero uh, less. So, I mean, this is interesting that you're, 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 you're rallying people together to, to sort of create these partnerships where someone can transfer somebody else 20 or $30, a relatively modest amount. But when Sam, Sam and I were talking about it, you paint this picture and you say that that 20 bucks might be a loaf of bread and a jug of milk and a jar of jam for somebody to just get them over the hump. You're not talking, you're not at the legislature talking about indexing and high level funding and program. You're like on the, you're like in the trenches, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of strikes me as the whole model of what you're doing is, is people that are a point of, at, at a point of absolute desperation that may not have any other option. This is where you're trying to jump in. Am I, am I reading this correctly? Yeah, I gave up. I gave up with the politicians. I gave up with the government. I don't want this to be political. I mean, I was really disappointed with what the UCP done. I mean, they 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 stood up and they voted in favor of Bill Twenty Six to index age. I mean, uh, as when they were in opposition, three days before the election, they said they there wouldn't be the index age. Then lo and behold, the second announcement after killing the carbon tax, what they say? They said that they said we're the highest paid in the country, and and it's going to be very minimal. Very minimal. Well, you know, uh, it's minimal if you're making a hundred grand a year and you're taking away thirty-two bucks a month. But you know, when when you're living in poverty, when you're struggling in poverty, and you you're getting like sixteen eighty or seventeen hundred or whatever the hell they give you, and they take away thirty-two bucks a month. And as a matter of fact, it's about sixty-five or seventy bucks a month this year. And it's only going to escalate. You know, we want to talk about the war room. You know, who's paying for the war room? The people on people on so people on age. They're taking food out of the food out of the most of the children to pay for the war room. So I, you know, I, I, I'm so fed up with government and, 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 and uh, as a matter of fact, I think I commented yesterday, I says lately there's been too much, too much politics and not enough government. So anyways, um, Les, let me ask you this. Why do you think, you know, this show is called Real Talk. And um, and I love this campaign that people had, your supporters had to get you here on the show. And we heard them loud and clear. Uh, these emails we were receiving and, and people because we're about, 
you know, we want to hold politicians. Like, I mean, these all sound like taglines, don't they? This is what you hear during the ratings when the when the TV stations are fighting with each other for the most viewers. And they say, we're the ones holding the politicians accountable. And there is a certain extent of that on this show, obviously. But we want to have bigger level conversations. We want to talk to people. We want to put people on. You know, in front of microphones that typically are, are are denied those opportunities or those audiences. When you're talking about living in poverty, when you're talking about the impact of de-indexing ACE, you should probably talk to people whose lives are impacted directly by those decisions. So when you talk about a sixty dollar decrease or a sixty dollar chunk um, for a person living in poverty. You know, for somebody that that is is living a privileged existence that has a regular paycheck, that has a job they can go to, that it was afforded opportunities in a safe household growing up, 60 bucks to them might be, you know, this or that. Uh, They might not miss it, quite frankly, if it came off their check or if it didn't arrive. What does 60 bucks a month mean to some of the people that you talk to? Um. It could be something as simple as buying laundry, laundry soap, detergent, so that we don't have to wash your underwear with a bar of soap. It could be something as simple as being able to wash your sheets so that you sleep on top of the bed rather than inside the bed. It could be, as a matter of fact, uh, I was operating uh, the program uh, started for about two weeks, and I got and I got a, and I got a message from uh, um, from a woman, and like. <sighs> If if you could see the tears in a message on, on a chat, and I mean, she, this woman, she thanked me. She thanked me because she could finally give her children a glass of milk, hmm. a glass of milk. So when you, when you see things like that, you, and like people have no idea how bad it is out here. The second year, $60 a month or 65 or whatever it works out to, uh, by the fourth year comes, uh, we'd be losing about $140 a month. Inflation stops for nobody. So uh, when they when they done the when they done the the date change on the, on the age uh, issue dates for for reasons that that uh, I think everybody knows by now uh, to fudge the books, no other reason. Um, but when they changed the age dates, I mean, I took all my bills, I mean, all my payments and stuff, and I put them in order. I mean, they, they give us notice and I didn't even think about my rent because my rent goes directly from age to the landlord. And, uh, uh, I was deemed with a $50, uh, payment, late payment. Right. And I went, and I went to them and I do have a rent subsidy. So my portion of the rent was not, not, not the total amount. Um, so I went to the property manager and I said, listen, the only way I can get out of it, there is a way I can get out of this. And what I says, first off, please waive the $50. And what, what I'll do is I'll make, I'll, I'll pay a rent deposit. So I pay my rent a month in advance, my portion of the rent. And then when, when you get the, when you get the, the money from age, my, my deposit just go back into holding. And they agreed to it. Or else I was looking at $600 a, a year in penalties. So then I went to age and I said, listen, this is a rent deposit through no fault of my own. And uh, there was some discussion back and forth, back and forth. And it, and it wasn't good. Um, I put on Twitter uh, one morning, one Sunday morning to, to the minister, if you really care, you'll phone me. And she phoned me um, on a Sunday morning, three hours later. And uh, we talked. And then out of the blue, a woman messaged me 
on Twitter. She says, what's your email? I want to help you. And I didn't even know this one. And lo and behold, she e-trans me the money to make up for the rent. Wow. And this is what I mean by the support. I was, And I'm looking at this like, why am I getting all this support? And so then I started putting out there, if, if you're frustrated with the UCP, take your donations, find somebody in poverty and give it to them. At least then you know it's going to help somebody. Well, yeah, it's you're creating you're creating these direct relationships, which is is really unique and it's interesting and and it's also less maddening that it has to happen this way. If I can yeah. say, um, you know, the, the live chat right now. I mean, Jason nails it. He says it sounds to me like sixty bucks means dignity to some people. Marv is bang on. Marv says most of the population is like two paychecks away from poverty. Uh, which is true. And more and more people as, as unemployment is more of an issue as this pandemic extends. So less this, well, this oh, go ahead. And I was going to say that uh, poverty today is not like the same as what poverty was in the sixties. We we're having a new poverty today, you know, where, where people that used to work in the oil patch and, and now they they have to sell their, their snowmobile and their sea dues and their four by four just to survive. You know, and, and and they're at the point where they're, where they're living in a new poverty and they're not used to it, you know. And I have them messaging me, "Geez, Les, can you help us?" And I said, "Well, you know, my help is very minimal. I mean, it's it's like twenty, thirty, sometimes fifty bucks, you know. And I'm having a hard time finding sponsors right now, an ongoing sponsor. So, well, Les, I'm keeping an eye on your GoFundMe as we're talking, by the way, um, and it's and it's climbing as we're talking, FYI which is encouraging. Um, so people can go to GoFundMe and they can check out, they can search the hashtag people fighting poverty. Can you give us as, as we wrap here, less we call this, you know, the call to action, right? Because your story's moving people. That's clear. Uh, that's evident, but give people an idea how this works. So you literally, so families will reach out to you. Like they might be in, they might be in Hamilton, Ontario, or, or they might be in, in St. John. And, and uh, they're going to say less, honestly, like, you know, I'm not looking for anything fancy, but but I need to buy a quart of milk and you're going to transfer them 20 bucks. Is that I mean, is this kind of how this works or paint a picture for us? Well, how it started was uh, I really thought it would just be in Alberta that, you know, somebody in poverty and I could hook it up with somebody that's willing to sponsor them or pledge 20 or 30 bucks a month. And and I think the first person was actually the first person was somebody that, that used to sponsor me and she picked up on somebody. And she, she bought me some groceries and she picked up on somebody and now she's sponsoring somebody. And then the second person was somebody in Ontario or somebody in Saskatchewan sponsoring somebody in Alberta. Then somebody in Alberta was sponsoring somebody in Ontario. The next thing you know, I had two people in LA sponsoring somebody in Saskatchewan, somebody in BC. And then there was a lady in Alberta that helped 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 a single mom in Texas. So I realized that poverty has no boundaries. I will say this, and you know, we could take whatever political message there is in this, that uh, that uh, the largest demand for support is in Ontario and Alberta. Hmm. So read read into that what you want so that was the original thing and then the christmas time came and i, and I kind of backed off in january uh as far as because you, you can only go to the public so many times and there's only so many sponsors yeah, out there. donor fatigue right right and 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 so then i started pushing you know maybe four or five nurses could get together and and pull five bucks each and 25 bucks and sponsor somebody and, and, and so then what happened was uh, the end of January I ended up with about 18 people in serious crisis. And I put out there, 
And next thing you know, I had a business uh, this, that e-transferred me personally 500 bucks. Hmm. And I didn't want to get into this. Another 250 And they said, here, Les, you disperse this. But don't bring us into it. So what does so it anyways, mean to you to do that, Les? What is it, when you hit send on an e-transfer for 20 or 30 or 50 bucks, what does that do to you? I don't know what it does for me. It's a, this, this isn't about me, but I tell you what, I know what it's like to get that. Mm-hmm. I know what it was like when that lady, when that lady sent me to sent me the rent, the money to cover my rent for for that that moment. And every time somebody sends me something or gives me something for that moment, it, it, it gives me a sense that I'm worthwhile. I'm a human being. Somebody cares. So I know when that woman messaged me and thanked me for being able to give her child a glass of milk. So back to sponsorship. My goal right now, uh, my my my, what I'd like to see is I would like to see some corporate sponsorship, some commercial sponsorship. But can you imagine if every donut coffee shop in the country, if each one just sponsored one individual, one family, twenty or thirty bucks a month? Can you imagine if every Dairy Queen, for that matter, and I don't want to step on your sponsors, but, and by all means, <laughs> but, but you know, if they're good for you, they might be good for me. Uh, yeah, you know, can you imagine if every one, each Dairy Queen sponsored one person, one individual, or Canadian Tire or Patrick, and the list is endless. And we're talking 20 or 30 bucks a month. Last, and, and, and I get people right now are like you and you can go back and you can read these comments later. If you rewatch the interview on, on our YouTube channel, you can see. But I mean, like Emma says, humans like less remind me why I'm staying in Alberta. What an angel. She says, you're a beauty. Uh, Emma's stealing my stealing a page out of my book. Beauty is the greatest honor I think you can bestow upon somebody. Um, you know, others are just saying like, you know, this this is just, you know, a different Emma says this organic network of direct support uh, that's developing from this work is amazing, says I absolutely love this. Um, others are talking about, you know, Trisha says you're doing God's work, says you give me renewed excitement about the potential of our society and our ability to make a difference. Let me ask you this, because I want to give you a chance. The whole point less of, of, of well, not, I mean, there's a lot of points to bring you on here. But but, um, you know, we have conversations where I might say and I'm guilty of it, too. I'm guilty of it. OK, because we, we try to solve issues like we, we go through these budget exercises, right? Our question of the week and we say, OK, you got to find a way to shave 10 billion dollars. What is that? You love your dog? Is that what that says? <laughs> it says so I say, I say, okay, well, I'm going to crank up corporate taxes by 2%. I'm going to implement a 5% provincial sales tax. I'm going to hold the line on spending on public servants with 0% increase. I'm going to do this, that, and the other. And uh, there you go. Bob's your uncle. There's $10 billion. And James writes in and says, well, well now that you got less here, why don't you ask less how he feels about implementing a sales tax? Because one of the big criticisms of a plan like i've proposed which isn't popular typically with lower income earners to be honest a flat income tax and a provincial sales tax is that it's punitive to lower income earners do you have an opinion on a pst that would help alberta's books but might hurt those that are more vulnerable I don't like any, I don't like any consumption tax because it 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 it, it hurts it hurts low income higher than the, than the higher wage earners. And I'll give you a, I'll give you an example. Somebody that makes 10 grand a year, or in my case, 20 grand a year. And I, you know, you, you, somebody making 20 grand a year, they take their three kids, they go to McDonald's and they spend 30 bucks. And out of that $30, they spend a, they spend a dollar 50 in provincial sales tax. 
So how, then the person that's making 150 grand a year takes the same three kids to McDonald's, buy the same meal, and they spend $1.30 on tax. Who's paying the more percentage of tax compared to their yearly income? It is not fair to lower income earners. And that's why I don't like any consumption tax. And Notley, when she introduced the carbon tax, that's why she gave a rebate. And that's why the feds are given a rebate. And, and I, was, I was having this conversation last night um, about the carbon tax. And I said, thank God, Kenny gave up the carbon tax in Alberta. Can you imagine if he had control of that carbon tax right now? He could probably stop, he'd probably stop the rebates. So anyways, back to politics. I'm trying to get, I, I have an opinion. On Unless everything. you're like me, you're like me. We swear off politics and then it's all we can talk about. Yeah, it's, uh, um, I forget what I was going to talk about now. Well, I'll tell you what. Let me say this. Why don't we get it refocused here? Because um, I got to take a call here from Tasmania in just a second. But people are writing in and, you know, for example, some are saying, you know, Porter says this is what it's truly all about. People fighting for people. And if the government fails us, people have to step up. And it's amazing to see it happening. But I've also got a comment like this, which is which is I, I appreciate this comment. And I, and I understand where this this viewer is coming from that, that that says, you know, this is Troy who says crowdsourcing and GoFundMe campaigns for basic human needs and, and decency are not feel good stories. They should be an indictment of our society and our government. And I think they can be both. Um, and, and I've and I've presented that because as I've reviewed the work that you're doing and trying to get up to speed on, on your program and, and talking to you and, and seeking to understand you less now, I get the same impression. I think what you're doing is remarkable. And I also think that, as Troy said, it's an indictment on our society and our government that this is necessary. So let me leave you with this question, not from me, from Kim, who's watching right now and says, what, what does less need right now? Uh, she says he needs care for himself in order to help others. Obviously, what exactly does Les need for himself? And let me ask for others as well. If people, you you want you issue a call to action right now, Les, what is it? First off, I have enough sponsorship. I I, I mean, I am. You mean I'm for yourself? Okay, for myself. Okay. Um, uh, back to back to. I, I believe it was Troy's comment. Um, I am honored. I am blessed that I have the ability to be able to do this. I'm humbled by the amount of support I got. I, I'm uh, when you raise how many emails you get. Believe me, uh, my eyes water up, um, and and I'm very blessed to be able to do this. I'm sad that I have to do it, and that's the times we live in. Um, what do I need right now? I need some corporate support, whether it be Tim Hortons, Dairy Queen, uh, Pedro Candace, or whatever. I need each one of these these establishments, each one to pick up one family or one individual. But Les, what about what about listeners and viewers right now that are like, hey, we can't do, you know, we can't give you a hundred grand a year, but we could do something. Uh, what's the best way for them to contact you or get in touch? Well, they can contact me on on, on Twitter. At Landry um, Les, right? Landry Les. Yeah. yeah. Um, or they can simply e-transfer me and I will put my, my email out there. They can simply e-transfer, even if it's five bucks. My email is L-E-S, basically my name, Les underscore Landry at Yahoo.com. All right. Five bucks, three bucks or whatever, you know, and my my goal is long term sponsorship. The the GoFundMe 
is for for crisis real time crisis situations like on Saturday there was a mother with a toddler in a very very dangerous crisis situation that could have been life threatening and I sent her fifty dollars at midnight that is real time crisis and 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 when I when that 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 organization sent me the $500 on that weekend and set and $250. I, that's when I recognized the real time crisis that where I could send money out to people right now. Last night, there was a woman that on Twitter needed help and I sent her 75 bucks real time. So that's what the GoFundMe is about. But my main focus is, is finding long-term sponsorship so that this can be sustainable. I would like to say this, that, that these, uh, First off, trickle down doesn't work. We know that. Um, my motto is is this: one person helping one person to help the community. Because while these governments are are trying to trying to prop up the businesses, these small time businesses, and paying the staff, this that's fine and dandy. By all means, keep doing that. But it is redundant. And what I mean by redundant is that if you don't have that consumer coming in the door, spending money, that business is never going to work. So I've always said, if you really want to boost the economy, give money to the people that can't afford to save it. I don't believe me. The money I get, I'm not putting in my offshore account. So if you really want to boost the economy, give money to the people that can't afford to save it. And that person on age will be spending the money at the IGA or the corner store, and it will be going into the local economy. One person help one person to help the community. And that's my goal, whether or not we get it through corporate corporate sponsorship or pledging to one individual, or it goes through a GoFundMe. I don't care. I'm just trying to get money into the hands of people that will spend it into the community so that they can support that local business. Less. I'm really glad that we had an opportunity to connect and you've lit a fire under our audience and I'm grateful <laughs> for it. Uh, mission accomplished. Thanks for making and, time for us today. And, and I, re- I really want to thank all the sponsors that, that helped me through this, through the treacherous road of destiny. You thank got you. it. You got it. That's Les Landry. He's the founder of people fighting poverty. He's just a real guy. He's just a guy. And uh, the conviction that he displays and the work that he's doing is remarkable. I mean, the conversation underway on our live chat right now is really encouraging. And by the way, uh, I, I wanted to. Uh, oh, gosh, the comments gone here now. Who, who was it that, that, that wrote, it was Troy that wrote in and said, uh, you know, he said, I mean, these heartwarming stories. He said it should be an indictment on society. He followed up. I always want to read the follow up in case people need to clarify. Troy says, don't get me wrong. He says, I love what he's doing. Troy, don't sweat it. I know exactly what you're saying. And I think probably everybody agrees with you. A lot of people talking about universal basic income right now. Logically speaking, great name says, give the money to the people who need to spend it. Brilliant. Haas says, absolutely. Money given to those in poverty goes straight into the the economy. Uh, Kim PG says, made for mama. It's a, a group. I don't know anything about it. I trust you guys, you know, sometimes I'm going to say things here live on the show. I'm reading your comments. I haven't checked. I haven't looked into these groups. I'll take your word for it. Kim PG says made for mama has been doing similar work in Calgary for a couple of decades. I keep hearing about a group in Calgary. I saw it. Somebody posted here earlier, something like Harvest Hills or something like that. Another group in Calgary that's doing this. Karen says in some ways, you know, COVID's brought out the best in people. We have a, a Lethbridge COVID-19 community support Facebook group. People reach out with their needs. Other people reach out to help down in Lethbridge. That from Karen. Lex writes in to say we shouldn't have to crowdfund for basics when there are literal billionaires in our society. 
Mark says, you know, I hate seeing these so-called heartwarming stories of people raising money for their health care or whatever it is. We shouldn't have to fundraise to take care of basic needs. That from Mark. A good point there. We're going to talk to. Uh, well, I mean, in my mind, uh, he's one of my favorite people to talk to. I'm so thrilled that Todd Babiak <laughs> is making time for us. If you, he's it's four in the morning in Tasmania right yeah, now. Yeah, and he's also I, I think I said this to you yesterday. It's like. Todd Babbage is the guy that I perpetually lose the thread on what he's up to. And then I pick back up on it and it's something equally amazing to what he did last in a completely different part of the world. Like so in other words, you, you, if you hadn't paid attention, you may have thought he was still in France. Yeah. Writing yeah, a exactly. novel with his yep. family, but now he's in Tasmania. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm so excited to talk to Todd. So let me let me let me tee this up quickly uh the team at westworld computers uh, for more than 40 years family owned and operating um helping you get the best solution for your family's tech needs whether it's the, the apple watch the iphone the imac the ipad the macbook pro it's i mean the lineup is impressive but maybe new isn't in your budget daryl and his team have a great selection of gently pre-owned gear uh, from the watches all the way up they're reloaded the software is they're re-warrantied and of course you're going to get a smoking deal on it especially when you let them know you're a real talker you can learn more about what they're doing online check them out on social media or in person at westworld computers also a big shout out to the team at park power they're the ones powering our real talk rj hashtag we'll check in on that after we talk to Todd Babiak in just a moment, Park Power coming up on their 10-year anniversary of providing internet, electricity, and natural gas in the province of Alberta. They're community contributors, and to them, that means 10% of their profits go right back into the non-profits where they live and work. You can follow them across social media platforms to see the groups that they are lifting up with well, basically the payments that people like you are making. You got to pay somebody for your services. Why not make it Park Power? And at parkpower.ca, if you use the promo code 2021-REALTALK, you're going to save 70 bucks off your first bill. 70 bucks off your first bill at parkpower.ca. All right. So our next guest for, for many years was a, a celebrated columnist. Uh, people read his work. He, he started writing novels and then people really started paying attention because it turns out he's really, really good at that. As a matter of fact, it's the art of the story that Todd Babiak has mastered. He's co-founder of Story Engine. He's currently CEO of Brand Tasmania, and he's a novelist of great books like this one, The Empress of Idaho. But he's got a new one coming out later this year, The Spirits Up. It's a ghost story set at Christmas, and it'll be published in October of 2021. Live from Tasmania, Todd Babiak making his Real Talk debut. A very early good morning to you, my friend. Good morning, and I'm going back to bed after this. I'm not sure it really counts this morning. <laughs> so did you go to bed and then wake up for 4 a.m., and then you're going to go back to bed? Can you even do that? I couldn't do that. Once I was up, I'm up. That's how much I love you. I'm going to try <laughs> try to go back to sleep. We'll see. Yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm a bit of a squirrel. It might be really hard. Okay. Well, listen, I'm thrilled that you're here. First of all, I mean, I know there's going to be people that are fans of your books that are going to want to uh, listen to this interview or what. There's going to be people that are curious on, 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 on your take on branding. I mean, this is what you do. It's why you're in Tasmania. And I just want, I don't want to talk to you about a whole bunch of other stuff, but so why don't, why don't we start with the obvious? Why are you where you are? Well, story engine, uh, we were based in Edmonton and Vancouver, but, uh, in the latter years, almost all of our work was elsewhere. 
So we were doing work. Uh, we were in Africa. We were in Mexico. We were in the United States, bit in Europe and, and Australia. So I did some work in Northern Australia and I did some work here in Tasmania. They called us up uh, because of uh, some, a little award we'd won and they wanted really the model we had, we had built in Edmonton uh, years earlier. And so that's what I had done. I was here off and on three times for 12 weeks or so doing the research and then building a strategy for the state of Tasmania. And then I went back to Canada thinking I might come back with my family as a vacation someday. And, and then they, uh, they called and said, would you, would you apply for this job? And I hadn't, hadn't really thought of it. And uh, it would have broken my heart, of course, even to consider it because I was doing so well and really enjoying the story engine. But part of that traveling around the world a lot was seeing less of my kids not being in Edmonton very much, frankly. And so the notion of being in one place for, for a few years while my kids are finishing school was pretty attractive. So here I am. Uh, and also it's a nice thing. You can build these strategies for a while and then watch your client implement them. And maybe you're watching from afar and thinking, Oh, I wish I had done it differently or, uh, they did it wrong. Uh, they broke my heart. Uh, well, now it's me. I have to actually uh, implement something. I have to go through all that complication. I have to include the community. I have to include the export sector. I have to make sure everyone uh, in the tourism industry can tell the same story as the folks wanting investment and the folks wanting to bring students here uh, and bring doctors and nurses and entrepreneurs. So it's mission impossible. And, and now I have to I have to stand behind it. So it's a wonderful challenge. And and a very unique challenge in the sense that not many people would have the opportunity or the understanding on how to execute that. Um, it's your background and your expertise in, in, in place branding and in storytelling that especially, uh, I mean, this is, this is what really, uh, this is, I guess for the audience's benefit, why specifically re- we reached out to you right now, Todd, was, was this tweet. Um, from your account at Babiak, you're talking, this is released right around the time of, of Alberta's provincial budget ish. And you tweet, if you want to attract talented people and future oriented investments to your jurisdiction, study Alberta's strategy over the last couple of years and do the opposite. So let's get into this. Where is Alberta blowing it the most? Well, I'm watching from afar, and really all I can see what, is what's in the news and what's in Twitter the last uh, couple of years, and even the last five years or so. And what I find in Alberta, it, leaders matter, and, and what you say matters. Not only the, the provincial political leader, but the cadre of leaders, what people are saying, what people are talking about constantly. And if it weren't for COVID, actually, all you'd hear from Alberta is... Uh, is about the oil and gas industry. And that is a wonderful industry. Lots of great people work in it, but it's not 4.5 million people. It's not ex- an expression of Alberta culture. And, and you can't use it. You can't talk about it endlessly and get people to think about and dream about Alberta as a place to live someday or a place that you want your children to study or a place to invest in if you're not perhaps interested in investing in that one singular industry. Or if you want to be a, a doctor or you want to start a business, and you have nothing to do potentially with that singular industry. Why would you come to Alberta? And yeah, oil prices will go back up at some point and there will be another uh, feeling of economic opportunity in, Edm- in Edmonton and Calgary and across the province. But the problem here is if, if you don't fit in that one little bucket, 
and I think the vast majority of people don't, then why Alberta? Uh, I think what they're missing and what they've been missing for a long time is an expression of Alberta culture, what it means uh, to be of the place. The reason you've been so successful so quickly, Ryan, your story and the stories of so many people in Alberta are just being left out. And there's going to be a massive competition for talent and capital in the coming years. And uh, it just feels like Alberta's moving in the wrong direction on purpose. This is uh, this might not have anything to do with anything. Um, and, and really, maybe it's a non story, but I feel like it kind of fits in to what you're talking about. And I don't know where you're going to land on the rodeo. Um, my suspicion is that maybe you didn't grow up going to the rodeo all the time. I don't know. Um, I did. And actually, like Carrie Tate from the Globe and Mail said yesterday, she says, I, she says, I know I'm on the wrong side of history, but I love the rodeo. And, and I said, yeah, me too. I, I know I, I, it's, I grew up going to it. I, I, I covered the rodeo for the Calgary Herald earlier in my career. Um, there's something about being at the rodeo. I also know that there's not a real public appetite outside of rodeo communities for what the rodeo represents. I've hereby opened up a massive can of worms to bring me to this question. Unless you've been specifically following Alberta politics, you may not have noticed this week that a United Conservative backbencher is actually introducing a private member's bill to make rodeo Alberta's official sport. And really, it's nothing. It's not a story. It's ridiculous. But a lot of people are speaking out saying this, this actually could be really poor timing a tone-deaf move, and could continue to nail Alberta's feet to the floor. Is that an example of something that you're talking about that would be counterproductive messaging, or is this a totally irrelevant story? It's a perfectly good example. I think it's an expression of culture. Either it's correct or it's not correct, but it certainly is in a time when people can choose to be anything. You can choose any sport or any activity, I suppose, and, and hold on to it want to be close to it. The choice of, of rodeo is, is a really important one. It says everything uh, you'd want to know about, about the government and what it's thinking. I grew up in the Duke and we had rodeo days every, every day was it May. And it was my favorite week. Uh, I would always look forward to it. It's the only time I didn't really get to go to big fairs and there was no uh, West Edmonton mall Ferris wheel or anything at the time. So going to rodeo days meant a lot. Lot to me, I didn't actually go to the the road the actual rodeo of the rodeo except for once. It always felt like, oh, that thing would come to town that we had nothing to do with and didn't build. We could dress up a little bit, and then that thing would leave. And I suppose that's what the rodeo was was to me. And and even as an Albertan, I think that's what the rodeo has has been to me growing up in Alberta. You know, especially with the Calgary Stampede. Uh, it would come to town for a week or 10 days and it would feel like we could get dressed up and there's a new feeling in the, in the air and then it would leave. And I had really no idea what it had to do with the rest of the time, knowing that there's a big ranching industry uh, and rodeo comes out of that. Uh, it wasn't enough to make me think this is core to my being and why I choose to live here. And, and I think it's what attracts people to this place. I'm not sure if it answers that question. Yeah, it's well, I mean, and it's not really I mean, I don't really have a focused or specific question. It just it's it's all part of a bigger conversation about how do we brand ourselves? How do we present ourselves? What's the message that people receive when they 
hear about Alberta or when they consider Alberta? I mean, what's what's the great metric? I mean, Todd, your whole job, whether you're doing branding exercises for a for a corporation or for a geographic location, whether it's the city of Edmonton or or Tasmania or wherever you are. Um, I mean, your, your, your ultimate metric, I suppose, would probably be economic investment and whether or not people want to live there and raise their families there. Right. I mean, isn't isn't that ultimately the what you care about numbers wise? Of course, I guess it's a continuum, you know, from of commitment. Let's say, will will you buy that that bottle of gin made in Edmonton or Calgary because it was made in Alberta? There's something about that all the way up to I want to live there. I want to pick up my life and my children, put them in a car, put them in an airplane, put them in a container and come to uh, to Calgary or come to Edmonton. Uh, that is, I suppose, the the hardest, the biggest commitment. But if you can get someone to do that, you've really accomplished something. So, yeah, you're right. I think every one of those decisions, we're speaking to our people. We're recognizing our audience. We're telling them a story and hopefully we're moving them. Uh, we're saying something that will get into their hearts. Most of our, we pretend this isn't true, but most of our decisions are emotional decisions and, and they're, they're about culture. Where do I want my children to succeed? That's a big, deep and meaningful question. And I think it's something we should be answering with all the decisions we're making. And I don't, I don't know the Alberta story. I didn't get a chance really to work on that, but uh, certainly in, in Edmonton, if you, if you sit down one-on-one -on -one and speak to people and we had, did have the opportunity to do that, it certainly is a, it's a far, cry from what you often hear from political leaders in in Alberta, even the, even leaders in Edmonton. Uh, so that is something that I, I found and have found a little bit just odd. You know, you veer in a direction uh, away from the core, the heart of the place and, and why people live there, why people stay there, why people choose Edmonton, why people choose Calgary, why people choose Lethbridge. Uh, there's a reason for it. There's a reason, Ryan, that you've stayed in Edmonton. And, and there's something about you uh, and the way you've been successful and what you've achieved, what you've built and your family that, that sings the song of the city and, and of Alberta. And there are a whole bunch of others who feel similarly. And you'll have differences with a lot of them. You and I argued a lot about stuff, but ultimately yeah. I think we're the same kind of people. And if you bottle that up and you listen to enough of them, you do have a repeating story. You hear it again and again, and you can use that ultimately to create this unified cultural expression of what it means to be Albertan. And I think what Alberta has to do now is probably stop listening to the man with the job in the legislature and his team and start expressing what they, what it feels like to them to be Albertan and where they see this place going and where they would invest and where we should all invest in Alberta if we have a feeling for the place. Uh, because I, I think there's something really dangerous happening I'm seeing is people are starting to give up uh, and feel like, well, this isn't my place anymore for for this reason or that. Uh, but it's the little things that build up over time that create a culture, that create a brand of a place. Brand is about action. Uh, it's about the actual decisions we're making. It's not so much about communication. There's no way that you could ever solve this problem with anything like a war room or a brand office or, or Travel Alberta or an Invest Alberta or all the things they can build and try uh, to fight with. What you just need is an understanding of what Alberta is at its best, who its people are and where they want to go together. And then you start using that as a filter for your decisions for a while. And I think when you start doing that, uh, you start to be competitive with other places around the world who have figured that out.
Do you think that there's something? Is there an inherent Albertan identity? I suspect that there's not in the sense that, I mean, you look at some 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 language that I think is used to rally people is also used to exclude people, right? I mean, the classic example in, in federal politics in Canada is old stock Canadians, right? And there's and there's often conversation, of, uh, you know, and we see it on, on social media about who who are he, who are who is not a real Albertan. And I've seen people say, well, what exactly is that? I mean, aside from maybe a dog whistle, what does that actually mean? And people will start to extrapolate. They'll say, well, well, you know, maybe that means um, there's that entrepreneurial spirit or there's that prairie pride or there's, you know, when you referenced that you and I argued a lot, it was always in good fun and it was always, I think, iron sharpening iron. But, we, you know, we would argue over whether or not it's worthwhile for a city to brand itself as having a river running through it a river valley and you you said you know show me a city that doesn't have a river valley and you're right or we got into it over whether or not edmonton should be called the city of champions and you would point out that there's probably 10 cities that have marketed themselves a city of champions and you say there's nothing inherently unique about that type of a phrase is there an albertan identity there is like i said there is a reason why you're there there's a reason why your friends have chosen to be in Calgary. And when you actually do the, the research, when you do interviews with people about this, they will say in the first five minutes, because it's an awkward conversation, uh, they will say, well, my family is here, or my job is here, or it's too expensive to leave, or whatever it might be. But when you spend an hour with them, you dig a little bit deeper. Uh, you do start to understand, as they tell their own story, and as they point to what they're most proud of in Alberta, as they talk about what would just kill them, hurt them when they have to leave. You know, my example, what do I miss the most about living in Alberta? If you do enough of those interviews, you do start to understand there is that repeating pattern because I do feel we live in a place uh, because we're attracted. There is, there is something romantic about this, but we're attracted to the feeling. We're attracted to the story. We think we and our children and our friends can be a part of that story. So I think there is one. I can't tell you what it is. Honestly, because I've not done the research, I, I was able and privileged enough to write for the newspaper for a while and speak to a lot of people. And then I did the work uh, that led up to that to make something Edmonton. But what I did find in Edmonton, for example, you had this repeating pattern that, that brought in, as you say, a little bit of that uh, agricultural history uh, that, that looked at the ancient history of Edmonton as a First Nations uh, place of trading and certainly brought in a newer history around Edmonton with, you know, people working together, almost that urban barn building idea, business after business, starting with with you and a couple of others, just like real talk, frankly, uh, let's build something. Uh, maybe it'll be modest. We're going to start something really special to solve a problem. And maybe it'll grow something that scales right across the country or around the world. And that is the, the story behind so many uh, successful things in Edmonton, whether it's the Fringe Festival or a stand tech and running room and bioware or the food bank, which is something that is spread around the world. I think if you actually pay attention, if you listen to people and you see that re repeating pattern of success, that does tell your story. That is your culture. And you could certainly get it wrong. And when you get it wrong and you just keep saying it again and again and again, cause we used to say it or it felt good. You're just, you're hitting a wall every single time you're talking to, your quote unquote base, you're not building, you're not growing, you're not telling a story and uh, you're stubbornly going backwards. And that's, that's part of the stuff that 
as I watch that makes me sad for Alberta. I think there's, there's something that people are doing from time to time, and, and we see it in politics all around the world, where you know who your base is, you know who you're speaking to. Maybe you have polling data that suggests if we talk to those people and tell them we're going to make rodeo our, our official sport, and we talk enough about oil and gas, honestly, that's enough. And we talk about maybe tax cuts, where that's the Alberta advantage. It's the cheapest place to live. It's not the best, but it's the cheapest. If you just say that stuff enough, maybe maybe you're hitting that 37 or 38% you need to stay in power forever. Uh, knowing, knowing in your heart that you're hurting this place in the long term, uh, you're not growing, you're not building, you're not telling or singing the song of, of what it means to be Albertan, and you're not actually thinking so much about uh, tourism or workforce attraction or investment attraction. You're not thinking about the community. You're not thinking about the universities. Uh, that's the that's the part that I think, as a leader, I, I hope every now and then people do get a chance to, as they're falling asleep at night, think about things that they do and the things that they say as leaders and, and whether or not in 10 years the place is going to be better or worse. It's so important. I mean, the point that you're making about the base and maintaining support and, and, and political preservation, I mean, these are all such real things. And, you know, there's such a there's a proud history of oil and gas and energy in the province of Alberta, uh, as there as there is a proud history of so many other things. And, and I know you just named five or six or ten businesses off the top of your head, and I bet you could do 30 more. Um, you know, people should be proud of what they've contributed to the energy industry. And Alberta should be proud of the role that it's played in in driving Canada's economic success for decades. Um, but you, you, you take a look at at now. I mean, you know, off the top of my head, Jason Kenney, premier of Alberta, participates in I think it was the coin flip at, at last year's Grey Cup in Calgary and and uh or, or at the most recent Grey Cup that was played in Calgary anyway, and he wears his I love Canadian oil and gas hoodie and, and, and the Internet explodes, right? People saying, you know, Alberta's premier, way to go. He's trolling everybody. And other people are going, oh, what's he doing? And other people are going, why does everything have to be about oil and gas? Why can't it be about football? And it got everybody talking. And he knew exactly what he was doing, right? And, and there's the bumper stickers. I love Canadian oil and gas. And there's Canada proud. And, and, and there's, there, there's all this branding and marketing. I mean, heck. The hockey team that I work for that's won five Stanley Cups here is called the Edmonton Oilers. At the old rink, they used to skate under an oil derrick. People have been so proud of this industry. Yet, we see the world uh, moving toward rapid decarbonization. I mean, the trends are evident everywhere, whether you're talking about um, consumption, whether you're talking about investment. Uh, you cannot deny the direction the world is moving. I've seen a lot of people say Alberta could pivot and and hone in on the, and own that word energy and continue to be the energy capital of Canada. If you were steering this brand, this exercise, how would you approach this global trend and, and what does it mean for Alberta? What Alberta's actually been good at, and the other thing too, when you're paying attention to oil and gas around the world is uh, Calgary is a teeny tiny little capital in global energy. I know it's a massive industry, uh, but you know there is something happening globally that Alberta is just a small part of. And what small part do we want to be of it? I suppose that's a, that's a question, but there is something, and your point is really good. What is it about our oil and gas story in Alberta? If you, if you listen enough and you pay attention to the uniqueness, not so much that 
massive players from around the world came and bought up a bit of it and set up a uh, head office in, in Calgary or whatever that might have been, or, or got involved in Fort McMurray or, or before that. What is it that those, that the people in Alberta who've built something around oil and gas, what does that have in common with everything else in Alberta that feels successful, that feels right? And there are elements there. Uh, we heard a little bit of that in our research, but I think there's a bigger piece of research to do potentially and to say, okay, where can we go? What is it that, honestly, what is it the Bioware, the Fringe Festival, and the oil and gas industry have in common? Our take on the oil and gas industry. And there is something there, and it's something, I think, cultural. What we have to do is understand the only thing in Alberta that's truly different is what it means to be Albertan, what is the pattern of success here, and what can we achieve? And I think there are good answers to that question. We all actually know what those answers are. We know how it feels to arrive in Alberta and to immediately be part of something and to feel like, I, you know what, I, where I was living in Montreal or living in New York or living in London, I wasn't able to be a part of the, the fabric of our community. I didn't feel I could achieve anything. But I've been in Alberta for honestly 10 minutes and already I'm being asked to be a part of something. I feel I can build something. There's a spirit in the air that I find attractive. And that may have something to do with oil and gas, but on a percentage basis, it probably doesn't. There's something else in Alberta. And if we look at, uh, you're mentioning the, the massive amount of trillions of dollars that are going to be flowing into massive, into um, rapid decarbonization, there's a, there's a way for Alberta to be a part of that. And, and a lot of it is little. I, I, I think in Alberta, you should think about what's the real talk version of, of decarbonization. There's going to be so many opportunities for people who are smart, uh, who are passionate, who feel like they have talents and they can add to this. Uh, as you know, all the sovereign wealth funds, the hedge fund managers, the, the big money is moving in the opposite direction. It's moving in, yes, we're going to need energy, but we have to rapidly decarbonize. And there's lots of small and big ways to do that. And we need, we need really hard thinking about that. And by the way, hey, Alberta has, at the moment at least, uh, we had a massive head start in artificial intelligence and mean learning, uh, machine learning. Still do. It's still there. I would wear that T-shirt. Uh, honestly, that you're going to get, you could get more in the future of, of energy and carbon and decarbonization and climate positivity. You might get more out of artificial intelligence and machine learning in 20 years than you get out of certainly uh, extraction industries in 20 years. And that is, that is a resource you have in Alberta. It's a, it's a human resource. It's intellectual capital. And the fact that you, you almost never hear a thing about it from our leaders is bonkers. Some great comments here, Todd. You've you've inspired our audience, our live audience here, I, and I can't wait to see what people that listen to the podcast have to say about this. Alicia says there's there's maybe not an inherent Alberta identity, but there are plenty of Alberta stereotypes. Um, I'm not sure if most of those stereotypes have been particularly kind to us recently. Um, Mark says having worked all over the world, I'm here by choice because it's the best place I've seen on earth. Um, you know, there, there's some interesting comments as well. Like Jason says, people from all over the world pick Alberta for a once in a lifetime vacation, our natural beauty and our people. Um, but there's a lot of talk about exclusionary language on, on, you know, what makes people a real something or not a real, you know, a real Alberta, a real Canadian. Heavy D says that type of talk separates people into groups and cliques and tribes and causes people to feel excluded and possibly even radicalized if they don't find acceptance from their peers. Emma says, so wait, hang on. Is our current Albertan culture largely the stampede West Edmonton Mall and the fact that Wayne Gretzky used to be here from an outsider's perspective? That is washed up and we can be better than that. 
That from Emma. Troy says, I think Alberta's slogan should be Alberta. The future of the past is now. <laughs> do you, how do you feel about branding slogans? Are, does it, do they have a place or does it, are, is, for you, is that nah? Uh, well, 95% of them don't really work. Yeah. Uh, certainly not for places. It's hard to, because uh, one of your commenters who talked about people come to Alberta from around the world for the scenery and the, and the people. Well, every place has scenery. Uh, people are, that's the product in the end. It's, it is what it's the, it's the feeling you get when you arrive. It's the feeling you get when you stay. And so it's really difficult to, to actually do proper research, proper understanding, truly seek to understand what it is about Alberta, what it is about Calgary or Edmonton, whatever that might be, and bottle it up as a slogan. And I think you almost always exclude people. You almost always end up with something that, that feels half-baked and, and you usually end up with some cute little phrase that uh, might stick in your head for a few minutes, but, but also feels like it's an off-the-shelf product. The, the best, I think Ryan, you and I spoke about this, the best slogan I've ever heard and the most successful one was actually a story, and it was Austin, Texas using Keep Austin Weird. And it doesn't sound like a normal slogan. It has the word Austin in it, but... Austin was a boring government and university town that people had sort of forgotten about. It wasn't having the success that Houston and Dallas and San Antonio were, and young people were leaving, and it felt old and boring, and it wasn't happening. They did have a cool little music scene, small venues with music. And as the world was globalizing and cities started to feel the same, uh, this librarian called into a radio show, and I think we have, he said, I think we have to actually protect what we've been ashamed of we don't fit with the Texas brand and that's okay. I think we have to keep Austin weird. And when he said, keep Austin weird, people really responded to that. And, and you could see it's a bit of a story. If our, if weirdness is our asset, it's, it's what makes us special and it's under threat right now. We can all make a decision to do something to keep Austin weird. And that was a, just a lovely capture of culture that worked, I suppose, as both a, a brand, a slogan, and everything else. And it's not like everywhere you go in Austin, people have that sticker up anymore. The independent business used it. Independent business association used it really successfully. It's more people have an understanding in their hearts. Uh, that's what this place is all about. And South by Southwest has been that Trojan horse that carries it. If you want to launch anything weird into the world, do it here. And it does audience segmentation really nicely. If you want to be weird, come to Austin. If you don't want to be weird, definitely don't come. And, you know, to the City of Champions point a little bit, it's not 100% either. There are Keep Austin Normal t-shirts. Not everyone wants to be a part of it, but, you know, the city manager told Edmonton city manager uh, back in the 2000s, if I have to make a hard decision, I just ask myself, will this keep us weird or not? Mm, that's, that's amazing. I've that's never heard brand. that story. It's that's, a, that's incredible. No, it's a beautiful thing. So, that, you know, that is a, that's a slogan that captured culture, and it truly was an insight into what it means to be of a place. And they have built from, you know, being not one of the fastest growing cities in Texas to being the fastest growing city in America. And all these tech companies wanted to be a part of it. And uh, big and small companies in Austin were able to expand and scale. It inspired so much entrepreneurship and activity and youth energy uh, that I think the problem has been for Austin in the last few years. How do we actually hold on to our weirdness? We're becoming too successful. 
too mainstream. They're selling out. Um, yeah. I've never heard that story. Right. I love it. Um, Ytrium's watching says, uh, with regards to Alberta and oil and gas, says, I say this as a worker in the oil sector. Uh, we've had the industry forced on us. It's not so much that we're proud of it, but we're told it is what we should be. That's an interesting comment. Um, Alyssa says the best thing that could happen to Alberta is to have travel Alberta not be a crown corporation. It's too attached to government whims. It should be independent. Um, Crazy James says, you know, there's so much money and effort being spent on branding by all levels of government. He says, and, and then we see a beer company, for example, hit it out of the park. Heidi says the diversity within Alberta is really quite extraordinary. Ken says Alberta has the perfect ecosystem for energy centric technology over 300 days of sun, wind valleys, huge amounts of energy engineering expertise. Instead, we're cutting our post-secondary education funding, and it's shameful that from Ken. Mark says Alberta has unlimited resources. It's time to tap them all. Indeed, Robert paints a clear picture rodeo. The image of calf roping, the calf bawling, running full speed, getting yanked, jilted to an abrupt stop by a noose around the neck. How's that for branding, Alberta? That from Robert, a graphic description. Todd, we can all learn so much by your perspective on this, and we're so grateful you've taken the time to talk to us. Before we let you go, it uh, I, I finished this, uh, which means it's perfect time because I've told you I don't travel anywhere. Well, I, I don't travel anywhere, period, right now, but... When I do travel, I always travel with the Todd Babiak novel, and I've been waiting for the new one. It's coming out this fall. What went into it? A ghost story centered around Christmas? Yeah, it's, it's called The Spirits Up, uh, which is that line from the Paul McCartney song, uh, Simply Having a Wonderful Christmas Time. And it's a ghost story uh, set in Edmonton. So I got to actually live imaginatively in Edmonton for the last couple of years, even though I haven't lived there. I really enjoyed writing. It's completely different for, for me, but I love Christmas stuff. I have to say, I know it's been talking from early March here, but I, I love Christmas movies. I love Christmas songs. I love Christmas uh, decorations, the romance of the thing. So, and a Christmas Carol is one of my favorite stories. So I thought, oh, why don't I actually just try to do one myself humbly fail at that and see if I can make people happy. It's a, uh, it has a happy ending. Well, I can't wait to read it. And uh, people can check out toddbabiak.com if they want more information on, on what you're all about. We didn't even, why don't we just, why don't we leave with this? We didn't even get to, we, we, we totally creeped your Instagram, by the way. And I was just pulling select because I, I didn't know if you were going to brag to us about how beautiful it is where you live and how happy your family is and how you're never coming back. Um, but maybe we'll leave our audience with some of these, by the way, fit in a sandwich, Babiak. What is with those? That's like a 12 pack. I've never seen abs quite like that before. That's amazing. <laughs> How happy are you right now? Oh, I'm really happy. I'm a, I'm a happy person generally. I try to be, uh, you know, driving up 99th Street in Edmonton, you know, seeing Peter the Positive Panda every day. I try to, uh, that was my affirmation every day as an Edmontonian. And I'm living in a really special place, and uh, which, uh, we, you know, COVID, we had a really hard lockdown here, super hard, and uh, got rid of it. And so I've been living... And I've been feeling guilty about it, watching and speaking to my family back home. We've been living kind of a normal life since, uh, gosh, July. And, uh, yeah, it's been really special. And my daughters, it's just been amazing. They're going to say, yeah, that thing that happened in the rest of the world, I didn't get to experience that. Honestly, mm. we're not experiencing it. Uh, of course, we're being careful here, and it, and it takes work. But, the, yeah, the, 
the choice to come live here was fortuitous for us, uh, I suppose, as COVID was arriving. Yeah, you remember Dr. Stephen Duckett, of course, former CEO of Alberta Health Services. He's in Melbourne now, and we talked to him. I don't know what it was, Sam, maybe four or six weeks ago or something like that. And uh, and he and he said uh, he he joined us from his home, and 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 I said, how, how have you been doing? It was it was the tenth anniversary of Cookie Gate. That's why we had him on the show, and he was more than happy to speak, actually, quite candidly about it. He said, eh, I made a mistake. I screwed up. We all screw up. And I went, Oh, <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Huh. I was kind of hoping he would double down so the interview would be interesting. But instead, he just said, yeah, I screwed up. What do you want me to do? And I went, "Okay, well, I guess we better find some other things to talk about. And so we talked about the response uh, in Australia toward it and specifically in Melbourne, where he is. And and he said, well, to paint a picture for you. And this was like a month ago, at least. He said, "Uh, last night I had 15 people around our dinner table. I served Atlantic salmon. It's been fabulous. Um, and, And I know that was tough for some people to hear here, because as you well know, we're still wrestling with trying to find that balance between you know public health and the health of businesses and man oh man it's amazing to see jurisdictions and study from what's going on in places like tasmania where you are like it's it's literally life is normal like you're you can if you want you can go through a crowded restaurant right now or you can you know your kids are at school no mass i mean it's, it's just it's quote unquote normal i've not worn a mask we had a we had a really really hard lockdown it didn't we didn't leave the house except for and we got groceries even brought in uh, delivered. How long and was that, that for, was Todd? Three months. Three months. Uh, wow. So okay. Yeah. But a little more than three months. And uh, and it was a hard one. I mean, it was really difficult. They supported the businesses through it. And once it, once it was finished, there was a staged uh, reopening. But we didn't do a staged reopening until it was we were at zero. Zero cases. Zero. Just zero. And... Tasmania has chosen to be one of the places for repatriated Australians coming back to the country. And so from time to time, there will be a case in a hotel, but they've just managed it so well. And other parts of the country that have had little flare ups, it's just immediate hard lockdowns until it's gone and and then it goes away. So having the courage to do that here has been really interesting to watch. And it, uh, it does seem that we have an advantage here as an island here in Tasmania, but we have airplanes flying every day coming in. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really I'm really pleased to watch, and I listened to that interview with uh, Dr. Duckett, and yeah, the Australians have figured out, figured out something here for sure. It's so good to have you here. It's uh, my, my internal voice is screaming at me, let him go back to bed. It's 4.43 a.m., where you are we're grateful that you've joined us here we've all learned something i can say confidently about branding and storytelling it's what you do best it's your gift it's one of them anyway um and it's a huge honor to have you wake up early for us todd thank you for this and can't wait to read the book oh well anyone would do anything for you ryan it's a it's a lovely thing to listen to you every day i have that connection with home so thanks very much for doing this and it was it was a pleasure to wake up at three fifty-five in the morning <laughs> Thanks, Todd. That's Todd Baviak, uh, celebrated novelist. He's the CEO of Brand Tasmania, the co-founder of Story Engine. I encourage you to follow him on Instagram, follow him on Twitter at Babiak, and check out toddbabiak.com for more details on, on his book that's coming out this fall. Well, well, there we go. Now we have some insight onto the, who's hitting. We know that more, more than 60 countries are represented, uh, real talkers around the world, interacting with our website, ryanjesperson.com, each and every week. You like to flex that number, don't you? I do like to flex yeah. the number because it's impressive. And uh, it's uh, somebody said to me the other day, they said, oh, Jesperson, you and your humble brags. And I said, I'm not sure they're so humble. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
just, they might <laughs> they might just be brags. But now now we know who's hitting in from who's checking in from Tasmania. It's the Babiaks. So I'm, there you I'm go. Not surprised. Yeah. Yep. What great insight into storytelling and branding. Oh, yes. I, I love talking to Todd Babiak. Uh, back in the day, we had him. When, when Story Engine first launched, we had him on uh, the Capital Ideas panel that I used to do. And it's just, you know, he's uh, consistently, he's always come back to you. What's the story? What's the heart of it? What's what makes this place tick? And, and I loved his insights on Alberta. I loved him talking about this stuff. I loved him, you know, giving us that sense of, well, like everybody, everywhere has scenery. But like, you know, it's all about the human capital. It's the feeling that you get when you come here. Um you know what I as, like as about a, him? He has yeah. he has the, he has the ability, and it's a delicate line to walk to call an idea stupid without calling the person stupid. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and that's that's a delicate line. Smart but people it, can have stupid ideas. I have them all the time. I've got. I, I've. I've. Yeah. Sometimes I think I've cornered the market on stupid <laughs> ideas. But he. But but he'll 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 push you to be. You know, and I and I saw some pushback on our live chat where I said, you know, Todd was one of the first. I mean, he. I remember him saying to me, like, every city has a river valley, like that's not a marketing tool for a city. And then some people, even this morning, were going, yeah, but but we don't have concrete all over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not the point. Like he wants you to to shatter the conception of like the slogan or the not the brand, but the slogan, and think differently about how we tell our stories. When I left uh, Edmonton when was it 2012 so almost a decade ago uh, to move to Toronto briefly I remember very vividly telling people I was from Edmonton and and you know I mean I was a 23 24 year old person interacting with other people around this thing I, I ran an organization that served students so that like you can see the demographic that I was interacting with in Ontario and the number one thing that people would tell me when I said I was from here is like oh you must be so happy you left really yeah that just came up over and over. And it's like, and it's interesting because it was a thing that I'd not really thought about too much to the point where I had to pivot to like have like canned defenses of Edmonton and Alberta ready. And and what's interesting is I don't think I once talked about oil and gas. I talked about our entrepreneurship. Um, yeah, I talked about our mountains. I talked about being able to, you know, on a, on a Friday afternoon, if I decided where I wanted to be for the weekend was in a tent in Jasper, I could just do that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's a real sense of place around here and there's a real identity and you're right. It's not tied to this. You know, I, I think it was very great. Was it, was it you or was it, uh, a, one of the people on the chatterbox, I'm tired sure who said that like, you know, oil isn't our identity. It's just what we've been told we have to do. Yeah. I thought that was great from, yeah. y, from Ytrium. Uh, yes. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And here's, here's the thing why I, I was particularly inclined to read that comment is because it's from an individual that says I work in the industry mm-hmm. because here's the thing. There's, there's been this trend to, um, you know, and it, it's not exclusive to industry talk. It's certainly not exclusive to oil and gas. It's not exclusive uh, to employment or branding or anything, but to create these camps these divisions, these tribes where you perpetuate the idea that if you question authority or question conventional wisdom or question tradition, that you're attacking it, that it's an attack. So in other words, to, you know, for example, on Friday, I'm happy to announce that Friday at nine o'clock mountain, our real talk roundtable will be the greatly anticipated <gasps> Solar panel. The solar panel is coming up on Friday at nine o'clock mountain. We've got a great lineup of guests and we're going to talk solar. And I think it's going to be fascinating. Uh, I guarantee that people, some people will perceive that to be an attack on oil and gas. It is not. 
You know, it is not an attack on oil and gas. And I think that 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 type of sort of protectionist approach that that those encampments that we create are are, are counterproductive in the bigger picture um, to a great degree. I want to get to I promised an email on private school funding from Lindo, and this is a good one. But first. We're so excited that McBain Cameras on as a sponsor of Real Talk. We're going to mention them twice today. They're also their team at McBain Camera. They've got six locations across the province, or of course, they're open 24-7 at McBainCamera.com. They're really proud of this Panasonic Lumix G9 camera. They've been serving Alberta's photography community since 1949. You appear to be very excited at the mention of this camera. Well, we run the entire show in Lumixes. See, Sam's very excited about the Lumix camera. They're, what is their phenomenal cameras? I have a list of reasons why the Lumix is such a great camera, but what's one off the top of your head is a guy that actually uses. So people are seeing me through a Lumix DSLR right now. Yeah. So you're um, uh, for a while. Um, they have been your absolute best bang for buck mirrorless video DSLR. If you want to shoot video with an easy to use quick run and gun camera, the Lumix series is top notch. The Lumix series is also used by Real Talk, which is viewed by people in more than 60 countries each and every No, I just couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself. Hope said, why wouldn't you flex that? Here's what the team at McBain loves about the Panasonic the Lumix G9. It's built for speed, so it can lock focus in a fraction of a second. It can shoot up to 20 frames per second in AFC. And get this, when you order a Panasonic G9 at McBainCamera.com, use the promo code REALTALK. One word, use the promo code REALTALK, and they'll give you a free spare battery with your order at McBain Camera. Okay, as a working photo video professional, the greatest thing you can be given is an extra battery. You don't want to be on a shoot and run out of battery. Exactly. Like if that is their free offer, I like I yeah, I cannot get enough spare batteries. I don't know who's more excited about this partnership, you or me. It might be you. I mean, I and I'm excited. <laughs> but I think Sam's like bounces Sam's doing like jazz hands off camera. You're looking at two cameras I bought at McBain, okay? Do you know and what, I say that honestly. Do you know what? You know what I need? I told the team at McBain, I I I have been buying cameras and camera gear at McBain for literally 25 years. I mean, my my whole camera setup is from McBain. That's what I love. Someone wrote in the other day and said, I love that you guys have, you, you, you promote businesses and you attach yourselves to businesses you believe in. I shop there. This, these are the people that we've worked with and our conversations have extended over a number of years and we're thrilled to have them on board. Uh, great stuff. Let's get to this. Uh, this email from Lindo. Our question of the week this past week asked you how you would approach building a budget, a provincial budget. We asked you to make some tough decisions and the results were, very interesting. We, we ran through them yesterday's show. If you missed it, um, check out. Uh, I think it was about a half an hour in. We went in at length and dug into the top line report. If you support us on Patreon each and every month and you can find more details on our website there, you receive exclusive access to the entire top line report. So you can go through all the data and sort through it for yourself and, and get some really interesting insight into each and every week about how a thousand people feel about um, the question of the week. And we encourage you to stop by and fill out this week's question as well on our website. Um, we ask you now, looking back on the budget, how do you feel about it? Kind of a two-part exercise. Well, Lindo felt prompted to reach out because a lot of people were talking about dialing back funding for private and separate schools. As a matter of fact, it was about two-thirds of, of respondents. It was about 67% that said they were okay with dialing back funding. They didn't necessarily say cutting it off, 
but dialing back funding to private and separate schools. Lindo said, you know, I find most of the people uh, who want to completely defund private schools, they don't have all the information. They think that private schools are elitist institutions for, for only wealthy people and that schools are making huge profits off government funding. As a former private school teacher myself, a private school administrator, a former board chair for an alternative school within the Palliser Public School Division, I've had this conversation many times with those that want to defund. He says, I have no opinion on the separate school system. He's talking about the Catholic system. He says, I have no experience with them. I don't see any difference, quite frankly, to the public system. To me, it, it just seems that public education is split into two divisions, those identifying as Catholic or pretending to and those that don't. As for the private system, I taught there at a religious school for six years back in the 90s, the 2000s. And over those years, funding increased from about 60 percent of standard funding to where it is now, about 70 percent. He says, now, that's not the total amount that's needed to educate a student. It's only the educational amount. So private schools get zero funding for facilities and maintenance and busing. And in reality, the amount spent by government on a private school student is less than half on what's spent on a public school student. As a teacher, says Lindo, I was paid, you know, 70 to 80 percent of what public school teachers are being paid. And, and that assisted in reducing the budget of the school all in the school I taught at with a population of about 600 students, K to 12, operated on a budget that was about half of what a public school would spend a school of the same size. Another way that private schools tend to increase revenues is to take in more special needs students as their funding from government is higher. And when I was teaching and working as an administrator, our school had equal, if not greater numbers of special needs students. Now, most recently, Alberta allowed religious schools to join public divisions as alternative schools within the system. And the private school I taught at in Calgary joined that Palliser division because Calgary public didn't want the school. In this arrangement, the funding for the school was fully funded. It was the same as the public, but the facilities still not covered. Now, my kids currently attend the same school, and our three kids cost us about nine grand a year just for them to attend. Now, for perspective, the overall budget for this school of about 650 students is about three million bucks for facilities and staff. Fully private religious schools are, are, are a little different than other schools because they that focus on, you know, for example, educational achievement. These schools often cost double or more what religious private schools cost. He's talking about like the Weber Academy, Strathcona, Tweedsmere. These are the schools that you hear people reference, the, the schools that are, you know, 25 grand or whatever it is to send your kid it might be more now. He says these schools still receive the same educational grant from government. The parents make up the rest of the cost. Now, when people say that not funding private or alternative schools will result in higher funding for the public school and better programming, I don't think this is the crux of Bill's argument. I don't think, says Lindo, they realize the extra burden that 40,000 private school students would put on the system. And this doesn't even include the thousands of students who are attending private or alternative schools where parents still pay fees in my community. Where my kids are, that's 650 kids. Many live there in this community. And if this school, the private one, shut its doors tomorrow, the public school in the neighborhood could not even take a fraction of these kids. The cost of the government for more facilities and staff would end up costing all Albertans more. That from Lindo out of southern Alberta. Food for thought. Our thanks to everybody that takes the time to put their thought into an email. We want to let you know that we receive every or rather we read every one that we receive and we make a commitment to make time on shows. Sometimes like this show, we intentionally wrote in some breathing room so we could get to more of your comments. 
We want to hear from you through the day, whether that's on our hashtag Real Talk RJ, whether that's through our email inbox. And of course, we've got great content to come where we know you're going to have strong opinions. The solar panel on Friday. Did I even tell you about the panel we've got on Thursdays? No. Psilocybin and ayahuasca. We're talking about microdosing and mushrooms and alternative therapies for mental health. And this is going to be a great conversation. That's coming up on Thursday morning. And tomorrow we're going to talk to a guy. Well, he wants to talk about violence. He wants to talk about mental health. And he comes at it from a very, very personal perspective. If you've not heard Mike Cameron's story before, his conviction comes from a great personal loss. As a matter of fact, his girlfriend was murdered. She was murdered by a former partner. And that's what got Mike started on his advocacy. It's a powerful story. You won't want to miss it. That's coming up at 10 o'clock on Wednesday. You know, these interviews are made possible because we have sponsors and builders that join us on our journey. And that includes the team at Kubi Energy. You better believe we're going to be talking to them on Friday as part of our solar panel at 9 o'clock Mountain, 11 o'clock How Eastern. Not? I mean, come on. Jake at Kubi Energy is super excited about this, as a matter of fact. The guy, you know, there's people that like do a job and then there's people that live it. It's their career. It's their calling. That's Jake. And his team at Kubi, of course, operating, you know, in BC and Alberta, headquartered out of Kamloops and Edmonton, doing solar installs, commercial and residential. We're going to ask him about the Edmonton Convention Center on Friday. They do all the paperwork for you, which I know is a big offering for people that don't want to have to look into whether or not there's bursaries or rebates or some sort of incentive for them to to go sustainable. Kubi handles that all, and you can find them under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. That's also where you'll find the team at Clean Air Club. Cleanairclub.ca is where you can register your furnace filter. You let them know what size you need. The next thing you know... They're right there on your front door, delivered for less than you're going to pay in stores, and your family breathes easier. Now more than ever, we're paying attention to the quality of the air in our homes and in our offices. And of course, that's what Clean Air Club is all about. And we encourage you to show us those photos on your doorstep delivery. We get more and more of them. Hashtag to Real Talk RJ. We love it. The team at Alta Moving and Storage knows that tis the season that you're going to start thinking about making your move. And they also know that for most people, it's one of the most strenuous and stressful exercises that you can undertake. They've built their business on taking the stress out of the equation. They're locally owned and operated, which means that if you need assistance, help, advice, they're here to make that happen. Plus, they've got those pod-style containers. They drop them off at your place. You work at your own pace with Alta Moving and Storage. You can find them online again under our Sponsors tab on the website. And a big shout-out in closing to the team at Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. They wanted us to remind you how proud they are to be associated with Real Talk, and they love when you let them know in the drive through or even on your delivery app that you're contacting them because they support us. We're talking about the stores in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Y Gardens, and Baseline Road. And right now, they want to let you know they've got a four-piece chicken strip basket going for $6.99. It's four all-white meat chicken strips with crispy fries and your choice of dipping sauce for a limited time. The Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. What a great morning of conversation. I'm still moved by some of the things we heard and some of the developments that we've seen, even as part of our live chat. What a remarkable community this is. 
Sam, I'll speak on your behalf and say both of us are so honored to be here with you every day. And Real Talkers, we thank you for your participation. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 8.30 Mountain Time. The gun